My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Again, with your, Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and on today's show, I have for you two swap casts, two interviews with different groups of people. The first two are Brandon Steele and Perry Kampke, hosts of Hidden in Plain Sight Radio. They joined me for a quick conversation about everything they've been researching over the course of their podcast and we also got into some of the conspiracy theories that open their eyes to the many lies that populate our world after that you'll hear some old friends who i've been podcasting with since the beginning since i really got into this full swing in 2020 joe and jen and their joe's brother ben from the legit bat podcast hosted a wonderful conversation alongside with Ron from the Wicked Planet podcast. We talked about which conspiracy theories we believed in, things that we each brought to the table. All five of us each brought our own theory, our own story, and it was really fun. So stick around and enjoy these two following conversations and Thank you so much for being here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. It's March, and March is the month of merch. We've got some really awesome merch in the store, almost 80 different pieces of clothing with a whole bunch of different designs. And with the promo code MFTIC, capital letters, 88, that's MFTIC 88, you can get free shipping on whatever you want from our merch store it's only going to be around for the month of merch madness this month of march so use that promo code while it lasts and of course when you do get your t-shirt or mug or pants or whatever it is i don't think we sell pants but we sell pretty much everything else hoodies tank tops once you get it in the mail take a picture and share it with us on instagram or on telegram can find us there my family thinks i'm crazy we're also on twitter and that's about it folks thank you so much for being here 
big episode 150 is coming out next week the mystery guest so look forward to that enjoy this episode with hidden in plain sight radio and after that conversation with legit bat podcast and the wicked planet podcast here we are on the my family thinks some crazy podcast welcome we're gonna roll right into it gentlemen because we we took a little time there to get going so I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about your podcast. You're almost 200 and something episodes in. You've been doing it for a while. Tell the audience who might not be familiar with you about your podcast and um, yourselves. It's almost split into like two different podcasts. We do a Monday episode that's more of like a traditional, we just kind of talk about the conspiracy news of the week. And then on Fridays, we find basically a video of someone who claims they can channel or, or are an alien or something like that. And we basically just do mystery science theater for those individuals. So yeah, we, we've dubbed David it. Wilcock, uh, Bobby Emmett, all, all those guys. We've dubbed it Space Weirdo Friday. Yes, Space Weirdo Friday is uh, the, the branding for it. Right on. Space Weirdo Friday. I've definitely heard a couple episodes of that. I was tuning in. And I definitely want to ask you guys about maybe a couple of your favorites or, you know, some of your least favorites rather. But before we get into that, what inspired this podcast? You know, what, before you ever hit record, what inspired you to get into podcasting? To be honest, the podcast is really just an extension of what Brandon and I were doing well before anyone hit record we we worked together we had a cannabis company in los angeles and we worked like in the same office space so when we were working we would just throw these videos on and we would just talk shit over it like you do with friends in a movie or something and at some point it kind of clicked where it was like you know what we could probably turn this into a podcast and lo and behold 200 something episodes later still doing it yeah we had free time to kill yeah <laughs> yes yes at the time we we had more than enough free time to kill we were waiting on the bureau of cannabis control to get back to us about our license so we we're going stir crazy okay well let's get into that a little bit because i my next question was going to be you know like what inspired you to get into this avenue of thought you know maybe what woke you up initially but for me cannabis played a big part in that at least mm. in that time period in my life. So I'm wondering, you know, if that plays into the equation for you guys. And then obviously I want to hear about that. Did that play a part in you moving over to Texas? Kind of. Mostly the Texas move was just the ridiculous taxes we were getting hit with yeah. in Los Angeles. And then Brandon landed a gig working over at Blaze on, mm. he's the producer for You Are Here. Yeah. Right and on. he got that gig. I didn't have anything going on in LA and I figured I want to be in Texas. So why not just tag along? And uh, here we are. It's half the price. Yeah. So a, a lot more for a lot less here. Yeah. But in, in terms of cannabis playing a role, I guess for me, it was in a non-traditional sense. Like I actually don't really smoke, but I think Cannabis was one of those first things where, you know, we went to Catholic high school where they, they pound the drugs are bad. And, you know, if you look at a joint, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. 
And then the first time you smoke weed, it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> if, if this is what hell feels like, I got some reevaluating to do. So yeah. I think uh, that definitely opened up the avenue to look at like, well, you know, the adults and authority figures throughout my entire life have been telling me this is something that's a, a sin and evil. And turns out not really. And that uh, kind of led down the path of, uh, well, if that wasn't true in this instance, what other cases may uh, it not be true in? I was always broken like this. <laughs> I'm a little bit of both. I can resonate with, with that as well. I feel like for a long time I had this idea that all drugs were in the same category. And I'm talking, you know, throughout my childhood into my early teenage years. I just had this idea of drugs just being something that could ruin your life. And then as a martial artist, finding out that Bruce Lee integrated cannabis into his workout mm. routine. And then Eddie Bravo, you know, was smoking a bong and then rolling around and doing jujitsu moves. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, wow, okay, maybe I can try this and it'll give me some sort of uh, psychological advantage. Because at the time, you know, I was on the wrestling team. There was a lot of anxiety to win matches and whatnot. So... I noticed from an early age the sort of mental aspect of what I was doing. So I got really into smoking weed before I would train martial arts. But enough about me. You guys have talked about a lot of different things over the course about of your podcast, you know, starting almost pretty almost in the, the midst of the pandemic, right? Twenty twenty, a couple months in. Did that we, play a role at all? I think November 2019. Like we literally started maybe two weeks before the news started coming right. out of the uh, the Wuhan lab stuff. Back I'm what's that called? By the way, yeah, I'm yes. still maintaining I was right. <laughs> it is on record. The man yes. did uh, predict it, but back when it was still acceptable to call it the Wuhan virus, we we were talking about it and shamefully I was actually kind of mocking it being like, ah, this isn't going to be a big deal. And then like, here we are two years later, especially in California where everything was completely shut down mm-hmm. masks everywhere and all that stuff, vaccine passports, all you, you name it, California had it. Right. So outside of the main pandemic nonsense, was there anything that you guys touched on? Cause from what I've gathered, you guys are pretty topical. You, you tend to cover a lot of more current things. Were there any stories that really stood out as like wild conspiracy theories that you're like, okay, you know, for example, maybe like the, the Russian hoax or, you know, whatever you have you, what are you guys thoughts on that? Oh, the retarded QAnons. Yeah. yeah, they're so dumb. We we've gotten into uh, quite a few battle with the Q folks because um, I think they're mentally handicapped at this point. I I think it, it, the weird thing about our show is we kind of focus on belittling them characters rather than the conspiracy. If that makes sense, like mm. we we follow the individual because I'm always interested in the individual presenting the ideas right and how it is that they who's still holding on to the, the q bullshit at this point is there anybody that comes to mind when you think of like the people that might be grifting off of this q hope the 
opium, opium. Well, good. David Wilcock, but apparently he's not doing so much grifting as having debt. Yes, we we did a very, very, very lengthy research into David Wilcock. We uh, pulled his tax files, all that stuff. And uh, I, I I know there's a lot of fans of the man floating around out there, but I would encourage them to go track down some of this info. He's not quite the guy who presents himself to be. We we spoke with a lot of people who were part of that initial uh, secret space program sort of movement. And according to them, there was quite a bit of verbal abuse. There were, there were literal physical threats occurring within that movement at the time. I know someone who's had to move several times as a result of the threats they say they've received from someone I won't name because they're very litigious, but it's, yeah. So we, we, we started off looking at these guys because we like talking about the fun conspiracies, like the secret space program is fun. And then at some point it kind of started fracturing off into this, what the hell are these guys doing over here? And uh, we kind of followed that path. Yeah. That and David's small penis, but also <laughs> Jordan, Jordan uh, Sather is also a piece of shit. Yes, Jordan Sather telling people to drink bleach was was a bit of a low light for the the movement. Even more embarrassing was his gay youth pastor jacket. He, him wearing his leather jacket, and he looks like the Fawns. Yeah, if he was at a Christian Bible camp. <laughs> hey, Genesis twenty two verse four. Right. Yeah. It, I've I've stumbled upon a, a telegram recently that I I was like, oh, what's this about? And it turns out it was all Jordan Sather just, you know, basically telling people that there's this force of white hats out there that are going to save the world. You know, what are some of the things that you guys have heard him say that you are maybe not just Jordan in particular, but any of these folks, you know, what are the some of the you know, phrases that they use or, or lies that they tell. Well, JFK Jr. was coming back to life for uh, a while. I think he's still coming back to life. Yes, as of yet, he, he still hasn't come back to life. I'm sure we'll, we'll hear that through the newswire when it happens. But I think the most dangerous right now, that, that sort of triumphant of Corey Good, David Wilcock, and uh, Emery Smith, and on the side, Jordan Sather, he was part of that when he was really young. He was working for Corey Good when I think he was like 20 or 22. But Corey's YouTube channel, if you want to see something absolutely nuts right now, he has a preamble in his videos where he explicitly states to not trust news that does not come from him, which for those who don't know, that's literally cult 101. Right. That is like, if you read any cult textbook, that is one or two on the list of signs that maybe you should start reevaluating where you're getting your information from. And his comic book sucks. <laughs> he has, he's been working on a comic book that he fundraised for probably about six or seven years ago. And as of yet, not a copy. Right. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate the skeptical and satirical sort of takes on this content because there are a lot of true believers who make their way into this field, whatever it may be that they believe in. And, you know, 
it's nice to have people calling out the snake oil salesman because I think when we get into this realm of truth, you also get you know a lot of people who become interested in the subject because they're seeking meaning in their life. And naturally those people yes. are the type of people who, you know, unfortunately may be easily manipulated into a cult or, you know, something even a little more mundane, like just spending a bunch of money on crap they don't need or, or courses that tell them things that they can get for free from other places, or maybe even things that are just altogether not true. So I appreciate the skepticism, but where does this come from? Have you guys always felt a skeptical approach was necessary in the conspiracy world? Is there any conspiracy theories that you believe without a doubt? I believe plenty of them. And I'm not yeah. even necessarily skeptical about their story. It's more so they're like, if we had intelligent ETs and they're like, hey, I got to find someone to push this message. It is not going to be David Wilcock and Corey Good. There's plenty of better people that could be found. So that's that's a well, pretty and for people one. who who aren't but aware, I believe just about anything is possible. Plausible is a different scenario. I I totally agree, and I think you know it's necessary to point out for people who aren't aware, David Wilcock claimed to be the reincarnation of Edgar Sacy, right? So there's and, a lot of yeah. Casey, yeah. He's also claiming that he's the Archangel Michael, and he <laughs> essentially. And he essentially exists within both the future, present, and past. So he's now an omnipotent being existing in all timelines. Wow. But he can't pay his taxes. Reminds me <laughs> yes, of... Yes, and he's still behind on his taxes and has a lien on his house. <laughs> so, you know, I, if I could see the future, I would probably try and figure out a way to be able to put a roof over my head, but... Maybe Listen, angels. I'm not, I'm not an angel. So you know, maybe know. angels are just broke. <laughs> that, you know, Jesus does, was does, an individual who didn't value does money. Does God so. pay a, like a cost of living increase? <laughs> I've never thought about that, actually. We you need to unionize. Uh, adjust for inflation. We got to unionize the angels. <laughs> I wonder, you know, where this sort of, you know, approach comes from as far as looking you mentioned looking into his tax record what was the intention when you decided to do that just to test to see if what he's saying is true i mean what were the claims that you were looking to dispute when you do something like that so i guess to bring it back to the beginning i think anytime someone is pushing an agenda where they're telling you, look, I can save your soul. On top of that, I can cure any illness. I can do all these fantastic things. The one catch, you're going to have to pay me a lot of money. I, I worry about people. I, I would like to hope that truly advanced beings who have the uh, capability to end suffering would not put uh, the end of suffering behind a paywall. And he, the tax thing was really just, he started a 501c3 and I got the documents on that because what he was saying was sounding shady. So I was like, look, maybe I'm just, you know, skeptical Perry here. Let's check it out. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I wasn't. He, he took... $70,000 in the year 2018, according to his own tax forms, the section O on those tax forms, that money was not spent on charitable uh, causes. 
He skipped filing taxes in the year 2019. In 2020, he came back and then completely changed the mission statement of his nonprofit organization and claimed to have spent, I think, 15, no, sorry, $11,000 building sloth bridges in Costa Rica. Did anyone ever disprove those? I feel like he actually built those, if I remember correctly. If he's spending eleven grand on sloth bridges, he oh. must have the finest sloth bridges. Well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he, he skimmed money, but that sounds like something stupid he would do. Yeah, I feel like I should be clear. Like uh, those, these particular people we're bringing up, we do go hard on because we we think they're doing a disservice to the community at whole. To have people like that in the forefront when there's people really like I think a uh, Richard Dolan or someone is doing legitimately good research, but he's not as popular as David Wilcock or Corey Good. So when you see these people who I don't believe to be telling the truth, and I'm not even sure they believe what they're saying, I think they may be out for a buck. I think it detracts from those of us who actually want to push disclosure forward. So I think it's important to point the finger at people who are hindering the movement. Unlike our master, Brother Bobby Hennett. Yeah, yes. Shout out, Brother Bobby. Well, I, ab- I absolutely agree with that. Before we get into Bobby, I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, some of the loudest people have the least to say. So, yeah, to your point, yes. it is unfortunate that a gentleman like Richard Dolan is not as popular as Someone like Corey Good, who, if I remember correctly, claims to be an interdimensional soldier who's fought wars on other planets and other timelines. I I can give you the full breakdown, brother. I have heard it a million times from him. At the age of six, he was kidnapped by the government and trained to be an intuitive empath. He says, you remember the the standardized tests you would take in school back in the day? Mm -hmm. He said that the government keeps track of those. And at the age of six, he he tested off the charts. So the government took him to uh, some sort of underground facility where they they trained him and cultivated his psychic abilities. Mm -hmm. And he served, are you familiar with the 20 and back program? Is that... No, please tell us for us who aren't aware. (laughs) Okay, so the 20 and back program idea is that basically these uh, secret space program soldiers are sent out and about to do a mission, but they're frozen on their home planet. So you're, say you're... 18 year old years old here, you go off, do your mission. By the time you're done with your 20 years, you're 38. But then when you come back to this earth, they regress you back to 18. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is they're supposed to do a memory wipe. What Corey good claims is they messed up his memory wipe. And that's how he's able to do things like take money to write a comic book that never existed. How Didn't convenient. He fuck one of the blue chickens too. Yes, he he also had uh, sexual yeah. relations with a seven foot tall blue bird in space. To, uh, Who would his story when presented the opportunity? Like, I mean, it's a story. Uh, you got to do it for the story. Listen, right? if, a, if a blue bird, if a giant chicken presents itself yeah i mean i'm gonna go well, there who knows maybe she looked like one of those avatar chicks maybe she looked hey, like big bird that was, uh, there's that a was spectrum a here <laughs> yeah so yeah. i don't know how the blowjob was but the beak would make that have difficult you, have you guys heard of a, a book uh by a guy named craig campo basso 
It's mm, like the intergalactic no. guide to alien species. I think you guys would love this book. And, I, you know, since you haven't looked into it, we'll save it for you guys to tear through. But some of these pictures are beautiful. And, you know, I don't know, Craig, I don't know where he gets his sources or his material, <laughs> but the pictures of all of these different alien species, they they look, I'll just say, they look very homoerotic at times. And <laughs> the rest of them, the rest of them are very curious. Some of them are just straight up like pixel art you might find on deviantart.com. And some of them are just like really, you know, they kind of look like a, a very niche form of sims.com animation or something like that but so, so Corey and david also in addition to the seven foot tall blue chickens there was another group of individuals i don't remember their actual name we coined them as the dorito headed beings yes ah, and okay. they were like 10 feet tall beings that looked like a betty spaghetti doll mm -hmm. but their head was shaped like a nacho cheese dorito but they were very advanced. They They're were like super advanced. They were like the top ranking ones. Yes, they were just below the ancient builder race in terms of power, if uh, I'm recalling correctly. Okay. Only the nacho cheese ones. Sort of like what comes to mind is like Crowley's hat in that famous picture, like a Dorito shaped hat, that sort of thing. Yes, 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 sir. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. There's a good reason to hold these guys to the fire, especially when they're charging for, you know, supposed solutions behind a paywall. But you yeah. mentioned, you know, Brandon, you mentioned having some conspiracies that you believe without a doubt. Let's get into some of those. Oh, I think aliens built the pyramids. Okay. I think, I think our government definitely killed JFK and likely let 9-11 happen at a minimum. But let's see. I think Groswell crash was real. I believe most of the alien stuff, to be honest. The specifics are where it's mostly unnecessary, in my opinion, to choose one way or the other. If one of them's real, they all could plausibly be real. So with that in mind, I'll, I'll take most of them uh, at their word. But, but I believe most of the alien shit is true. I think the aliens are responsible for a lot of our religions, alien visits and whatnot. I personally think the, the Mormon religion might have been the result of an alien encounter, mm. having studied that myself. What else? It's the right Book on. of Mormon I'm holding up. I yeah. can find ways to make just about anything seem possible. Mm. I don't think anything's impossible. And plausible is really matters of fractions when you get into the weeds. Agreed. Now, what are your thoughts on abduction? Have you looked into that? And I do want to ask about the Mormon thing, but what are your thoughts on alien abduction? That's something I've been looking into recently. I think most of them are repressed memories from being molested. There, I know that comes off like a joke, but there actually was a paper semi-recently that did indicate that that actually may be the case that that level of trauma can cause people to sort of almost like a Stockholm syndrome of, of sorts, except in, in lieu of falling in love with the captor, they almost wholesale invent a scenario that's less traumatic right. than what it is that they actually went through. So I think they could be happening, but I think that's a good chunk of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's probably been alien abductions. I mean, I, I do sort of uh, subscribe to the theory that like there, the universe is so big and there's so many celestial bodies out there. Some, something 
has to have made its way here at some point mm-hmm. or, or tried to make contact. I, I, I don't think on the Neil deGrasse Tyson line of thinking where he's just like, no, nothing ever happened because we don't have 4K proof of it. Always oh, wow. so disappointed in him. Yeah, I know. He could be so cool. Yeah. Him. All he had to say is aliens are cool. And then then Neil deGrasse Tyson's back on top. That's why he hasn't been back on Rogan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I definitely see your point there. I definitely, well, that makes me want to ask you about the Electric Universe, but before we get into Perry's thoughts on conspiracies that he really believes in, Brandon, I want to get into what you've researched on the Mormons. I recently heard uh, a really great interview with a guy named Cody Nocini, something like that. Forgive me, Cody, if you hear this. And he had a really interesting interview on the Higher Side Chats talking about the psychedelics that the Mormons were using and some of their occult practices that they were into to find treasure. But maybe you found something like that or something else. What have you learned? So I was raised Mormon and my family's roots on my mother's side go back actually to like the origination of the church. So I've been in it for a while. He's part of the Illuminati. Pretty much. But one of the things that's always fascinated me was the idea of how Joseph Smith translated using now what in, terms of the day they called you know some sort of seer stone placed in a hat with you know some sort of ocular device on but if you think of that in more modern day terms it's essentially what it feels like to put on a vr headset and joseph smith was was basically illiterate couldn't really write so the idea that he wrote that entire book is kind of unlikely and they also have a lot of his writings documented back to the original source which my grandfather was part of. But while I was at BYU, my favorite classes in terms of religion classes, which you have to take because they're accredited just like all the other ones are, was uh, church history. And you can just, because there's a very cosmic sense to the LDS religion in terms of, you know, when you die, assuming you've, you know, lived a decent life, you'll go on to become the steward of another planet. So I think it's one of the few religions that has more of a cosmic ending to it, where it's not just you're going to die and go to heaven. Well, you're going to go die and you'll watch over another planet that will become another earth. And from there, it'll expedite and keep growing and growing, which makes sense in terms of a universal perspective. And so when I thought, you know, you take a lot of the readings about Joseph meeting aliens, meeting uh, angels in the wilderness, there's a lot of areas where you could see that there's either technology at play you know, ancient technology at play or uh, some sort of visitation, particularly when you take into account that, yeah, magic, and they spell it magic with a K, was big in the church up until about, like, say, the 1910s, 1920s, around the industrial civilization, or industrial age, excuse me, would be, would be you know, it would, would relate a lot to the church in my regard. And then I think magic is kind of what would have tied them to more celestial type beings because... During the Great Awakening, there was a big, you know, push to find more mysticism, I guess, in most modern religions that I think is going to die off today. But that's where I think the initial alien connection could be. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that same interview I just referenced talking a little bit about that Cosmo theory of like, you know, being as you put a steward or a guardian of your own planet, you know, it kind of reminds me of some of the theosophical material that's out there that was written. I don't know, maybe around the same time, maybe prior a little bit after the Mormons got going, but 
you know, they have similar ideas of like, oh yeah, your soul exists within this hierarchy. And as you, you know, reincarnate through this series, you can make it to, to heaven or wherever it is. So yeah, it's yeah. definitely, you know, most people just think of like silly things like the, what the magic underwear or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But yeah. there are some really strange little facets of, of Mormon history I know they try to keep a lot of the more mystical stuff under wraps, but I wonder as somebody who grew up, like how, how exoteric are some of these things, or is it something that's kind of kept amongst certain people? So actually I think well, it was probably my last year at BYU. They released pictures of one of the original seer stones and it was up for display in one of like the museums there which is interesting because it's the first time they'd ever let the public see this particular one. You know, I mean, it was an interesting stone. You couldn't tell anything, you know, particular from looking at it, but that was a big step in that regard. I know they have a few other potential relics that they're not quite exposing just yet. So I've seen some of it, but I've also read a lot of documentation. I actually have a book that documents the history of seer stones throughout the early church, because there were two breakaway sects early on that also claimed to have their own seer stone. One of my new Testament teachers at BYU is actually one of the people writing that. And so there's an interesting history in terms of the various stones that were out there, but this particular one was considered one of two that Joseph used specifically when translating. So I'm sure they probably have a few other interesting things out there. Not as much as I assume the Catholic church has hidden away. If you could give me access to one place on the planet to find out the most about what's probably been hidden or covered Those up. Vatican archives. The Vatican archives is the first place. I wouldn't even fuck with our own CIA. I'd go straight to the Vatican archives. Right. I've heard similar stories about the Vatican archives. I don't know how true this is, but a friend of mine allegedly had a tour of a, a version or a portion of the Vatican library. Again, I heard this when I was really young, but back to the point of the seer stone, mm -hmm. seer stone, this obsidian right here, I've seen actually at certain stores versions of what John D had, which was like this black obsidian, that same crystal I just showed you guys, black obsidian mirrors. Is there any information on what this seer stone actually was? Is there any mineralogical info on it? So one of them was theoretically made out of a form of tiger stone that was highly, highly polished and had an interesting, I guess, glean when you found it that way. The uh, There was one other one that was theorized to be gallium, which is ironically what they used to fill cavities, or at least used to, which is more of a metal that can also be turned to a liquid at, you know, not terribly high temperatures and has some interesting properties in terms of if you were to theorize that one of these stones was a power source to, you know, see some sort of alien archive, that would be plausible in a sense, particularly when you take into account that for it to work, and this sounds dumb when you think it's a rock and a hat with <laughs> spectacles on, but like if you're South Park made it seem like South Park made it seem, and I love those guys, the only Mormon funnier than me, but if you're putting some sort of power source that needs to be concealed in darkness with ocular devices that would let you see it just like VR devices work at the moment, then it makes more, you know, sense as to how it could practically work. Agreed. Yeah. I've, I've done a series of episodes and it's still ongoing on various 
tables of the periodic table of element or various elements on the periodic table of elements. And it's interesting to see the crossovers between what seems like a pretty, you know, bland physical science. You know, you'd think there's just straight up physics involved, but we found a lot of connections to metaphysical people throughout history, alchemy, mm-hmm. and, and even ufology, just looking at various tables of elements. And I think whatever special properties gallium has, it's not totally far-fetched to think that our consciousness can interact with it somehow, which kind of brings me to another question I want to ask you guys. But before we get to that, Perry, what are some conspiracy theories that you believe without a shadow of a doubt? You know, the ones I I truly believe, uh, I hate to do this, they're kind of the boring ones. Like, I feel like when I say them, everyone's going to be like, no shit, but never let a good tragedy go to waste. I, I definitely believe the government fully takes advantage of catastrophes. I mean, we saw it with the the security theater implemented after 9-11. And I think we're seeing it currently given, you know, the pandemic. And I expect fully after this is all said and done, we're not going to be getting back some of the freedoms that we lost during the course of the last two plus years. I'm not quite sure what that looks like at the moment. It could be maybe we're going to be wearing masks every flu season from here on out. But fuck that. Any <laughs> time I see the government take away something, I have a hard time believing they're going to be giving it back. And that's why we moved to Texas. Yes. And that's why we're in the middle of nowhere in Texas. But uh, no. So I, I most of the stuff I, I believe with regards to that is is just the the political stuff right which it's not fun but uh i think that holds the most weight in in terms of what's a hundred percent real now i much prefer the the cool alien stuff that's that's what i really like but i don't necessarily believe a lot of it being in Texas, I got to ask the question, you know, you say you're into more of the political angle stuff. People often cite these, you know, school shooting or mass shooting events as false flags perpetrated for a political reason. Do you venture down that angle? What are your thoughts on on those claims? Are there any false flag or mass shootings that you look at and say that was definitely arranged by political forces? You know, there's definitely ones that look weird the one that jumps to mind immediately is a paddock in vegas but the one thing that always kind of stops me from fully making the leap is there's never or correct me if i'm wrong i'm not entirely sure but i i can't think of a law that came after any of these events that truly limited access to guns and i know that's uh, that's typically what people say is they're staging these mass events to let something as awful as a sandy hook and you know if if people can see a bunch of kids get killed and they still didn't really roll back gun control it does make me question whether or not those events are being perpetrated for the sake of political gain because i haven't necessarily seen the political gain result from them well i'm glad you mentioned that last one i don't have to say it. you did that is a hot button topic but they did we actually got for a strike the... forward on our youtube so no worries no <laughs> worries i'm our, not a uh, patreon youtube which is unlisted yeah yeah i'm not afraid of it but 
the the funny thing is they just actually landmark case for the first time you have a group of families who are the victim of that mass shooting suing a company who I guess made the weapon in question. Remington, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And so they did get some money from the company, which I think never happened before. So even though I'm not trying to put you in a gotcha situation, I do remember seeing that very recently. So I had to bring it up, but I'm sure, you know, there may be others and and it's still, even that is questionable because I know a lot of people in that area are maybe politically motivated in themselves with their own life separate of that, you know, albeit something tragic may have may or may not have happened to their children, right? But that's a conversation for a different day. And well, uh, go quickly, ahead. Not, sorry go ahead. to cut you off. No, 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 uh, go ahead. But that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, is I, I do think they use events like that to try and Whether they to stage them or not the is, is, is not... Bingo. Yes, I don't, I can't for certain say it's staged. And I have a hard time doing that because if people legitimately lost their children and I'm here on the microphone talking about that sort of thing, I'd be a huge asshole. I just think it's easier to manipulate people with dead kids. Definitely. I mean, if, if you were going to go for the emotionally manipulative angle, what's, what's going to tug at the heartstrings of individuals more than children dying i mean that's that's about as high up on the empathy meter as you can go undoubtedly but yeah i i definitely think that that's you know it's definitely the case sometimes but you know it's it's something that i'm not afraid to get into because this is a philosophy podcast at least on Mm -hmm. itunes and we're pretty high up in the (laughs) charts so we got free you know we're free speech you know we we're here in america and you guys are in texas and i bring that up because obviously the second amendment is something that is really close to home for a lot of citizens of texas Actually, you know, it is kind of true for people in New England, too, despite the fact that we tend to, you know, majority vote blue. There are a lot of concealed carry laws here. So there are a lot of gun owners that are very passionate about the Second Amendment, even in a blue state like Connecticut, the one I live in. But, yeah, that's definitely not my forte. I am glad we got into that because I wanted to bring up the topic of Manchurian candidates. What are your thoughts on on predictive programming and the idea that, you know, they use maybe hypnosis on particular people in cases like Sirhan Sirhan or the gentleman Mark David Mark Chapman? Mark David Chapman. Yeah, yeah, right. Who killed John Lennon? And then obviously when they extrapolate that potentially on the masses through certain films, you know, Rosemary's Baby is pointed at as being weird. The uh, first horror movie ever, I think Night of the Living Dead is another one that's pointed at. I could be wrong. I'm not really a horror movie buff, but I tend to shy away from those movies just because they're so, you know, graphic and I don't know, maybe I'm just sensitive, but it does feel (laughs) like there's an angle of that that is meant to induce trauma. And I wonder what your thoughts are on, you know, the topic of predictive programming and media. I I could see it because the I mean exposure therapy is a thing that exists. If you have a phobia and you go to a psychiatrist, psychologist one of the things they're eventually going to work you up towards is be going, you know, face to face with your phobia. So if you're afraid of spiders, you may not start 
with them throwing a tarantula at you or something. But the idea of the therapy is eventually get to a point where they can release a tarantula in the room and you're not going to completely freak out. So I could see it with, especially with how powerful a tool the media is, I could see them sort of baby stepping individuals without them even realizing it into accepting something that normally would have terrified them to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I I think they're definitely probably still doing it on an individual basis, but I think they've moved on to realizing they could do it in with groups in particular with the news outlets. Like you can take CNN for one, it's all predictive programming in their journalism. That's why it's not anymore. It's not journalism anymore. It's really just opinion used to persuade people to a particular narrative. So I think if you're, you have people beaming that into their own house every single day, they're, basically hypnotizing themselves for you. So I think they figured out with a combination of TV and and, uh, cable news that they could do that. I think that's part of the problem with the internet is it's too broad for them to truly control at the moment. So now luckily enough old people and white women still watch CNN and (laughs) Fox news and shit. And so I think they're doing it in that particular method at the moment more than anything else, because you can still get the widest amount of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is something that was a big wake up for me as I started integrating cannabis into my life. I know you said, Perry, you don't smoke. Brandon, I'm going to assume that the fact that you're flicking a lighter around means you possibly do smoke. It's the subtle things. (laughs) So, you know, that was a big part of it for me because it optimized, in my case, a sort of mental wellness that allowed me to really see certain aspects of how society can drain us, you know, whether that's just through, you know, things that you can measure like our diet or even contact with certain chemicals that, you know, Mm. arguably are bad for our health in long, in the long run, or even in, you know, these sort of small long-term doses, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that we're being, you know, toxified for lack of a better word, but what are your thoughts on something like, uh, chemtrails you know we've had a couple conversations with guests recently that talk about chemtrails and they seem to do them at night here in new england and right before sunset but you you guys are out in the open skies and the open plains of texas you said you're in the middle of nowhere what's the skies like over there actually we're uh we're like five minutes away from dallas international yeah we're just in we're just in the ghetto yeah no we're we're just in the uh the ghetto part but no like uh we're you could get to the airport and maybe five minutes from our house and that's if there's traffic yeah but i mean uh, in terms of chemtrails like i ain't seen too many down here but like no it's possible. Once again, it's like, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Like, there's really clearly things it, but, getting shot in the sky. But yeah, compared to those sort of trails you see, or at least I would see in California, I don't really see that here, which I don't have a good explanation for. That's actually kind of interesting hmm. is when I'm standing on my balcony here. I don't, I don't really well, see it. And you know, what's interesting. I did, I wanted to circle back to this topic of electric universe, but you know, maybe I'm unqualified to totally explain this, but I think there's something to do with chemtrails and our atmosphere. And I know that Texas is the only state that has its own grid. Right. And the other two grids are like East coast, West coast. Right. Mm-hmm. It might be like mm-hmm. a Colorado grid for the Midwesterner people. But yeah, as far as I know, Texas has a sort of uh, 
solidarity that is unique among the rest of the states. So maybe that contributes to it somehow. But I wonder, you know, you guys said you're into space. What what are your thoughts on the electric universe? Have you looked into the electric universe theory at all? Me personally, no, not a whole bunch. No, I'm I'm tangentially aware of what it is, but no, that's not something I've I've done a deep dive on. I mean, it sounds interesting, though. I know it's a vague connection in terms of like holographic universe and things of that nature, but it's not one of the ones that gets covered by any of our space weirdos too much. Right on. Yeah, no worries. Well, we could we could brush that one aside. Another kind of uh, maybe tangential topic to maybe more UFOs is the idea that certain individuals are targeted, especially after they disclose information, at least in some cases that they think is relevant. In some cases, it it is really relevant. I mean, Edward Snowden is basically trapped in Russia forever. Yeah. I mean, who knows what will happen to him? But we have other cases. I've had people on my show who have told me, like, yeah, FBI came to my house and they told me stop looking into this. And uh, or I've had like weird people show up and after I saw an alien, you know. And I'm sure you hear that when you're looking into the space nuts. But you know, yeah. when it comes to when it comes to the idea of targeted individuals or men in black, what are your thoughts on on that subject of phenomena? When you say uh, targeted individuals, are you talking about in like the gang stalking sense targeted oh, okay yeah um they're not too many of the people we cover consider themselves to be gang stalked but there are certain individuals there's actually i hate to keep bringing it back to david wilcock but we've got uh, wilcock on the brain we just did like a eight hour episode yesterday mm-hmm. about him but there was a individual by the name Actually, I'm not going to give his name because he was a private citizen, but he was a fan of uh, Wilcock, and he kind of fell down that that targeted individual rabbit hole. And it's actually a fascinating case study because his YouTube channel is still up. So you can see the whole course of him just being a completely, you know, by all appearances, average guy. And then over the course of the weeks and the months, you see him start to sort of fall down this, this targeted individual rabbit hole. And eventually it gets to the point where he, he doesn't trust his friends. He thinks everyone's lying to him and, and, and that sort of stuff. And he ultimately ended up killing his brother because he thought he was a lizard. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I know it's a wild sentence, but I, I used to kind of make fun of the targeted individuals, but I think after really exploring what it is that they feel like they're experiencing, I I understand it. That's got to be incredibly isolating to sincerely feel that literally everyone who exists within your world is out to get you in some way. There's no one you can trust. I believe Bob Lazar. Well, and I'm and glad you got into that. I'm glad you bring him up because I think in the case of people who work for or get contracted with the government in some shape or form do run the risk of maybe being an unwitting experiment. I mean, I've had people yeah. on my show who I'm actually, you know, friends with on on Telegram who 
by all means, perfectly nice guy, sane guy, but I've heard him talk on other podcasts about his experiences and they sound, you know, very unsettling and it definitely makes you think twice, you know, obviously when it goes to the extremes of, you know, murder, you definitely, you know, think twice about, you know, having a laugh about it. And I, I think, you know, my heart definitely goes out to anyone who, honestly feels that they're being targeted and they're not just doing that to you know get some dollars on youtube i mean i don't see why many people would tune into that at least that's not something i would be interested in checking out outside of research purposes but but yeah it definitely you know and that's kind of why i didn't mean to you know side track into chemtrails what i was really trying to get at with the you know mass manipulation in the media is it can be really isolating to, you know, enter into this realm of thought and that can be a result of it, whether it's, you know, the result of an actual body of people physically gang stalking through the internet or what have you in real life, or if it's just a figment of somebody's, you know, imagination and, and extreme paranoia. Either way, it's definitely it's definitely something that we can't we can't totally set aside. It, it deserves to be looked at. And and again, you know, back to the point of media manipulation. I'm glad there are folks like you guys looking at the people who are ostensibly, it seems, manipulating people who are just honestly looking for the truth. You know, they come to yeah. subjects like UFOs maybe because they've had an experience themselves. I've seen strange things in the sky. I can't you know, write a book about anything I've seen. It's not that interesting, but you know, it's definitely seems like when you get in the realm of radio appearances and book sales, that there are a couple people out there who are just trying to make a dollar off of people's interests and they really don't have anything to offer the subject. You know, what are your thoughts on a guy like Jacques Fillet? You know, he kind of brings this consciousness angle to the topic of UFO and that's UFOs, and that's another topic I kind of wanted to bring up with you guys is like consciousness and and where does that come into play when you when you look at these subjects? I'm I'm a fan of Jacques Vallée. I think he's another one who is legitimately trying to do everything he can to bring legitimate science to the field. And I think if everyone wants this topic to be taken seriously, that's kind of what we need. And I, I know it's really hard for a lot of people to hear because so much of this stuff can't be quantified. Like, how, how, how do you possibly quantify you saw something in the sky? Like, you know you saw it, but how many people are actually going to believe you? So to, to provide documentation and try and untangle the web of what's truly going on is, is really crucial work. So for for Dolan, as I mentioned, and Jacques Vallée, the people who have basically dedicated their entire life to to the topic, I, I definitely respect them and what they do. Agreed, agreed. And there are there are definitely a lot of interesting guys who bring a lot of credibility to these fringe subjects, and yep. you know, I've been lucky enough to have a couple of them on the show. One that comes to mind is Richard Spence and he shows how espionage is at play in a lot of these realms. He kind of looks more into the occult, but 
I wonder, you know, how much of the UFO field do you think is co-opted by these guys who are just working for the government? The first, when you say that, the first name that, that comes to mind is Paul Benowitz, which if, if people don't know, Paul Benowitz was an individual, I want to say back in the 80s is when this happened. Yeah. But he, he lived near Dulce, Dolce, I don't know how to pronounce it. I've only ever read it, Air Force Base. And he was a UFO believer and he started picking up radio signals on his, you know, home radio. And he started to believe that he was tapping in to alien contact. So he took the information he had gathered. He goes and tells what he deems to be the proper authority. Like, Hey guys, I think I'm onto something. What he didn't know is he was looking at like uh United States craft, uh, deep cover craft. So obviously they can't tell him that, but then they, ex- I think R- Richard Doty, I believe is the one who said he or admitted to being responsible for feeding Paul Benowitz false information to make him think he was seeing UFOs. And ultimately, Paul Benowitz ended up in a, a psychiatric institute in 88 as a result of like kind of having his worldview shattered. He, he thought he had come across something so great when in reality it was the government trying to throw them or throw him off the trail. So I, I certainly think the government is involved in distracting from I, it, anytime someone gets too close to uh, something that important, I think they step in and guide them in a different direction. Yeah, there are certainly people who seem to lead their audience down a cul-de-sac where others are just kind of an open two-way street, you know. It's, yeah. it's definitely, again... I like to highlight the fact that you guys do bring that skeptical angle to your show, and I appreciate that. Brandon, you mentioned aliens building the pyramids. Have you guys looked into megalithic structures at all? Is there anything that you have to back that up? Because I agree that there's definitely some strange, maybe extraterrestrial, maybe interdimensional influences with some of these megalithic structures, but what, what makes you believe that? I don't think Jews could move the rocks. <laughs> I'm Jewish, by the way. Uh, cool. No, we're good. I, and I like to believe in the advanced technology. So I like the idea of floating the rocks over more than moving them. It just seems cooler. Right. Well, also the, the precision. I mean, we, we all know yeah. about how precise the, the blocks were cut and, and some of them look they like they have line up with some the look like they stars. got drill marks and, you know, like laser saws. Right. It's just much more entertaining and it makes it have a much more interesting use than just being a tomb that's that always seemed like a waste even for an egyptian pharaoh it's a lot it's a lot to do to build a place where they're going to leave your bones in one room right yeah it doesn't entirely make sense to spend uh year upon year yeah. well and the fact that there's never been any bodies found in the pyramid complex, they were all found in some tombs, you know, miles away. Yeah. That, and the fact that they're in multiple civilizations and different places, similar times, sometimes different times, sometimes, but similar structures, similar accuracy. It seems a little coincidental, which 
would either I would assume aliens or a previous civilization that got a uh, dinosaur. <laughs> right now. I don't know if this guy is friends with Corey good, but I've heard people like Simon parks claim to be a part of the, you know, Illuminati. And, yeah. you know, some people say that these bloodlines are part of this group and they go back as far as Egypt have you guys looked into that at all? And what are your thoughts on someone like Simon who claims to be a part of the Illuminati? He's not the only one. There are other f- folks who sell books claiming to be ex-Illuminati. Is is Simon Parks the one who says he got an alien pregnant? I, is that Simon? I, I think it is. I don't know. But, but I'm but not I, 100% sure on that. What I remember is he claims to be a part of a mantid race. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. He claims to be part alien. Right. He was also like, he had some government job, I, I believe. Maybe not anymore after he came out with the whole I'm an alien thing. But, you know, you got to shoot your shot, I guess. But I am, I'm not terribly familiar with him outside of the sort of scandalous headlines that were produced at the time when he came out and said he was E.T. Right. Now, but back to the point of the Illuminati, what are your thoughts on, because it's not just him, there are plenty of researchers who put, you know, dozens of hours of content up talking about how this and that and this and that and this is Illuminati and here are all the signs that you can use to figure out their secret codes. What are your thoughts on on this whole theory? It's really, a you know, a whole whole tree of theories but yeah uh, when you see that kind of stuff what do you what do you think immediately i mean it's you not, uh you see yeah. the logo on his beanie yeah i mean it's not that difficult to believe really at this point that you know 10 to 12 people could control and shuffle most of what happens in the world we've we've seen it happen with the pandemic you got the top 10 billionaires getting a trillion dollars richer while everybody else goes broke so like it's really not that big a stretch other than like, are they fucking children and eating them or are they just doing it for the money? I would also say we're, we're even seeing it with the war right now where someone like Putin, who is maybe not technic- uh, technically listed as the richest person in the world, but by all accounts, he's the richest guy in the world. I mean, he runs Russia. He's got all the money. He owns all the oil. And, you know, when, when you got that kind of power, we see what someone with that kind of power can do. So it, I certainly would be shocked if, you know, a group of people like that were able to greatly influence day-to-day life for common folks down here who don't have $800 billion in the bank. Yeah, I mean, you could even break it down more modern into like the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, that fucking Jedi villain. <laughs> yes. The Sith Lord ruling over us all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, you know... It's interesting to think that someone like Klaus Schwab could be connected to a bloodline that goes back to even just like a king in Germany or something. I'm sure that's probably true. But to Egypt, who knows? There was some sort of Egyptian influence in Germany at some point in time. But we mentioned scalar weapons right at the beginning of the conversation. And I've heard some theories that the pyramids are scalar weapons that have been you know deprogrammed or or turned off somehow because they you know the parts have been broken you know what do you guys know about scalar weapons is that purely just a a joke or is there anything Uh, there that we can learn 
Sort of. So the 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 joke started in that we cover Carrie Cassidy, who I mentioned is Project Camelot. She does interviews with Mark Richards, who's another secret space program guy. He's in prison for uh, murder. Yes, he beat a man to death. Someone to beat yes, a man. Yes, he paid two He's young individuals too to beat weak a man to do to it death. himself. But anytime Carrie is broadcasting and there is even the slightest hiccup in her broadcast, she likes to claim that the government is using scalar weapons to disrupt her broadcasting of the truth. So we just sort of co-opted that. And anytime one of us fucks up a technical aspect of our show, we just blame scalar weapons because mm-hmm. if it's good enough for Carrie Cassidy, it's good enough for us. It's possible. Who knows? I mean... Oh. Hey, they tried to stop us today. It took us 30 minutes to get, you know, they didn't want this conversation to happen. Scalar weapons interfere. That's why I stuck around. I'm like, this has got to be good. (laughs) The government is clearly (laughs) interfering here. But, you know, unfortunately, we do have to wrap it up in a little bit. I wanted to ask you guys, you know, if you had a top five list of researchers that you did follow and then maybe we could even do if you're more interested a top five uh list of snake oil salesmen that you guys love to because i like the idea of mystery science conspiracy theater this is this is something i I definitely am going to be tuning in on fridays so Uh, let's see i mean the people that we we like and will support brother bobby hemmett number one our our dear friend rap the news who recently Recently died of the COVIDs. Yeah. I'll put Stephen Greer in there for now. Yeah, I like Stephen Greer. He's, he's, he doesn't solid. put out a ton of content that's as of late, but I will put him in there. Old Art Bell episode. Old I'm Art still Bell. Throw that in there. I I'll always I'll give Art Bell that because he's the OG, and uh, the occasional George Knapp and what is it, Jeremy what's, Jeremy uh, Bell or some something like that. What's the guy who Randall Carlson? I like Randall his Carlson. He works. And then Graham Hancock. He's not yes, really UFOs. That's, that's actually, who I was but Graham to. Hancock in terms of like who's practical and actually being proven true at the moment, I would say Graham Hancock now, is the top of the list. Of the top grifters, I think David Wilcock, David Wilcock, Corey Good, Corey Good, Emery Smith, Emery Smith, Jason Rice was there for a while until he was apparently sued by Corey for using the phrase secret space program because Corey said he owns the phrase secret space program. Oh, okay. Jordan Sather. <laughs> oh, yes. And I guess Jordan Sather would round out the uh, Ble- top five. Oh, Bleach Boy. But uh, yeah, the the grifter end of it has uh, kind of imploded upon itself and it's just turned into uh, nothing but lawsuits. The people preaching light and love have added lawsuits to that list. Yeah, most Mm. of the secret space program folks have kind of had the mask drop. Yeah, they're, you know, it's all it's all light and love until people stop agreeing with them and start pushing back, asking some questions. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. As a, you know, somebody who works inside of a pretty big conspiracy podcast as a booker, you know, I've I've had my run ins with a few people that have not, you know, met the vetting process. And it's good to know that there are guys like you out there scrutinizing that top five list. And I'm sure there are others who don't really deserve to make the list. But yeah, those guys are infamous for all the wrong reasons. And I applaud you guys for your efforts. And yeah, I've, I've had Randall on Tim Foil hat. He's doing great work. I definitely get a lot of people who are suspicious of 
guys like Randall because of their status as Freemasons. Have you guys ever run into those theories? What are your thoughts on on that when people go and say that the Freemasons are the devil and all this stuff? Hold on quickly. Uh, just a, a random odd connection. Our cannabis company at one point, we sponsored tinfoil hat back in the day, like a few mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. On. yeah. <laughs> so that's uh that's a, I didn't know you, yeah. uh, you worked with them, but that's uh that's weird. Oh. Sorry. What was your question? That That's kind of threw no, me for a loop. That's all good. Yeah. It actually, I work with Alex Stein as well as a booker, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's funny. What's the name of the cannabis cannabis company? Illuminatus. It is no more, but, mm-hmm. uh, we're around for five or six right. years. The, website, the yeah. website is still live. I think I found a link to that. I was looking at that. It looked pretty cool. That's unfortunate. Well, yeah, I asked. Oh, geez, I hope I didn't forget what I asked. No, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> I was just, I, I guess I was saying, you know, yes, now I remember. I was applauding you guys, and then I was saying how I, I need that kind of information as a booker. And then I was going to ask you about Freemasonry because some people have suspicion over guys like Randall. I'm not one of them. I do. I'm open to any criticism that anyone's going to have because this is all about free discourse. But, you know, I, I see the Freemasons getting a lot of suspicion. I myself sometimes have that suspicions in some ways. But what are your thoughts on Freemasonry? We used to get it a lot yeah. because of our brand, like because our logo is the eye we we used to get accused of being masons almost constantly you know just random phone calls people leaving messages that are vaguely threatening but i i think i don't think the masons are what they once were i think they were kind of just nerds i yeah i think it's more of like a men's club type thing like i think it's it's an excuse to go knock back a a few brewskis with the fellas and, and not necessarily take over the world Maybe at one point, you know, back in the day when when there were more powerful people who were a part of the organizations, but from the individuals I've seen who are part of the, at least the Los Angeles organizations I saw, didn't exactly strike me as the world powers that people make them out to be. That's not to say that those type don't exist, but I, I haven't witnessed them. Mostly just coked out Armenians, really. <laughs> well... I don't know how much I agree with that last part, but I do agree that there are definitely a lot of people who are Freemasons who don't deserve any suspicion. I've had folks on the podcast who are Freemasons before. And yeah, it's always interesting to hear the thoughts. And it is odd whenever you have just, you know, a sort of fervor against a group of people, no matter who they are. So it is interesting, you know, when you use a symbol like that, just to get flack for it. And it's really uncalled for considering you guys are just selling weed, you know, but uh, yeah, exactly. But I'm glad I had you guys here to go in deep on all of these topics. It's not easy interviewing guys who, you know, are hosts themselves, but I think we made a very interesting episode here and I'd love to put this out as a swap cast, if you guys would welcome that, either way is cool with yeah. me. And this has been so much fun. One last time, tell the folks where they can follow up with you, where they can tune in, whether they're going to check out the video version of the show. I know you guys are on YouTube, right? Or the uh, audio mm-hmm. version. Correct. So the YouTube uh, version, we are 
hidden in plain sight radio on youtube we are just hidden in plain sight on any other podcast app it's you'll see us it's the logo has both of us in it so Mm -hmm. hard to mix it up that's Pretty much. Oh, I, we're at the Hidden Pod on Twitter, yeah. and we're at Hidden and Plain Sight Radio on Instagram. But uh, yeah, I, I would say you know check out uh, check out the YouTube. That's uh, that's typically where most of the happenings are going on. Or the Patreon if you want extra content. <laughs> yes, we do also do an extra episode or two a week for for our lovely supporters of Patreon. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, definitely send me all the links to that and we'll be in touch when the episode comes out. Thank you guys so much for being here and listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Simulcast with Mark from Mark from New England. Fuck, Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy, so bring him in. And also, Ron from New England is joining us. Mark, like we were talking about pre-show, have at it. Go for it. Do your thing. Thank you so much, Joe. And yes, you are correct. It is Mark from New England, although I don't go by that uh, name like our buddy Ron here. Ron, thank you for being here. Ben, thank you for being here. Joe and Jen, obviously, thank you so much for hosting this. It's a big relief because i've had a little bit of issues with obs lately for anyone who's watching on rockfin have some patience we'll be back up and running in the meantime the legit pat bat podcast is kind enough to host this what i wanted to do was like sort of a campfire storytelling everybody get together meeting of the minds because we all host our own shows and I think it's it's cool to get together every now and then and and share what's what's going on in your mind or what's been going on on the show or even just you know to share a share a story. So I am from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. If anyone is hearing this and is unaware, Ron, Joe, Jen, you guys want to go around and introduce yourselves and tell maybe some new listeners who you are and where they can tune in. Yeah, I'm uh, Joe. Jen's with me here. Ben's also in the house, and we're Legit Bat, and we are also on Rockfin and audio podcasts and everything, and LegitBat.com for t-shirts and all that stuff. Ronald? Yeah, hey, it's Ron from New England from the Wicked Planet Podcast. I am not on Rockfin. I'm not anywhere. I'm just on everywhere you can listen to podcasts, so uh, come and check it out sometime. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I was looking forward to this. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. Agreed. Agreed. And I hope everybody got their homework ahead of time done because I did send some homework. I sent a few questions. Apparently, Ron, I forgot to send them to you. I apologize. But my thought was, you know, the audience is used to the sort of philosophical discussions. And this certainly isn't a place where we can't get into that. But I was hoping we could focus more on maybe some stories that really have stuck with you maybe it's a story you've heard on the show maybe it's a story you've just come across in your research for me as somebody who is a fan of conspiracy podcasts i often 
really enjoy the ones that go out of their way to present a story. You know, my podcasts, I can't always do that with every guest, but you know, I think that's part of one of the many skills we as podcast hosts have is, you know, the ability to tell a story. And I think you guys are well qualified for this task. So if you'd like, I could kick it off and, and share the urban legend that I heard about a couple years ago. And, and then maybe that'll give you guys some time to organize and sort out your thoughts and, and, We'll see who goes up next. Really, it's up to whoever's who's ever's up for it, but I'll start. You guys have any questions? No, sounds good. I'm, I'm happy with you kicking it off. Cool. All right. So if I can take you all back to 1981, Portland, Oregon, the 80s, the, you know, techno revolution is underway and people are gaming like never before. And there is this mysterious arcade somewhere in portland oregon where a group of teenagers got addicted to this game called polybius it was serviced more often than other games and allegedly men in black suits opened the machine every week recorded his data and left with no interest in the money that was left in the arcade machine okay so soon after this game became legendary among the local gamers. It just vanished without warning. It's just gone from the arcade. And it's one of the big unsolved mysteries of the gaming world, if you can call it that. And it's become an urban legend thanks to conspiracy websites like the one I'm reading this from. And, and also the creepy pasta. if you guys are familiar with that whole area of the internet. So... It's uncertain how far back the Polybius tale goes, but the earliest known discussion of it is thought to be from 1998 when a mysterious description appeared on the vintage gaming website coinop.org. So it states that Polybius had a very limited release, one or two backwater arcades in a suburb of Portland, and according to rumors, it was developed by some kind of weird military tech offshoot and used some kind of proprietary behavior modification algorithms developed by the CIA. So we're talking about a video game that kids are interacting with, and it's possibly uploading some kind of algorithm into their mind, right? So getting past some of the, the nerdier details here about the gaming world, what's really strange is that there's been at least five or six people who have separately relayed stories of their digital acid trips playing this game. Okay. Five people posting these stories seemingly unconnected to one another. So the details about the game are pretty ambiguous as far as what the gameplay was like. Imagine one of those early like joystick shooter type games. I forget what the one was with aliens, like you'd shoot the alien space invaders, right? Sort of yeah, a mix space between invaders, space yeah. invaders and like Pac-Man, right? It's sort of an early like mobile game, whereas a lot of games at this time would just have one screen and everything would be moving on that one screen. This game was like shifting you through various levels. So... 
Polybius supposedly terrorized Oregon gamers. The government really was secretly testing unwitting subjects. The MK Ultra unethical. Uh, now it's connecting to MK Ultra. You guys are well aware of MK Ultra. So here in the article, they're making a connection to MK Ultra's, you know, thousands and thousands of documents that were declassified in 2001. Some of those documents have details connecting to video games that the government was using to test on soldiers. So whether or not they were also putting these out for the public to play with is, you know, up to speculation. But there's a pretty clear government connection between the video game industry, right? So let's get into a little bit more of the scary parts of Polybius. I want to find the creepy pasta article, but you guys have any thoughts on this so far? Do you think so was was it an MKUltra program to try to see who is really skilled at this game or were they downloading stuff into people to scoop them up and put them in the MKUltra program? That's a great question. I think I think the theory is that they were using it to recruit people who were vulnerable to maybe this MK Ultra program. Hence why these people were, you know, heading over to the machine weekly but never taking any of the money out of it it's just weird because i've never even heard of that game so this is awesome because you brought up something i didn't know <laughs> shocking but i if that was the case back then can you imagine with the technology we have now what they're doing in video games i mean it's come i don't i don't even know how to describe the ascent from the 80s to now as far as graphics and frame rates and all that shit like if it was really some kind of mk ultra thing it got kicked into hyperdrive in like the early 2000s. So that's mm. pretty scary. Well, yeah. And, you, you know, with these false flag events or even, you know, the mass shooting events, that's always something, at least in the earlier days, that would come up. Like, is it pop culture? Is it video games? You know, that's that was a big thing with the Columbine shooting. They were trying to blame the type of pop culture that these kids were fans of. But, yeah, I think... Let's see. Sorry for the dead air, folks. Hey, oh, Mark. Yeah. The one thing that I find interesting, because if you're talking in the 1980s, that is early, early in gaming. You're talking, this is right after, <clears throat> like, Atari, uh, Pong, Missile Command, the, like the stuff that I, that I grew up playing. Now, my father would actually buy us actual like the real video games out of the out of the arcades he was hooked up with an italian guy <laughs> that uh, owned a bunch of arcades you know and that was a cash business so you guys know what i'm talking about and, and when they would swap the machines out well my dad would always say oh ronnie what do you want for games and i and i really like well space invaders we had a two-player space invader where you sat like a table and you played it and uh, we had Asteroids, which was a really popular game back then. I want to say Tank Battle. But there was a game called Tempest that I really liked. And it had geometrical shapes coming at you. And then it would have these, like, stars coming at you. And you had a round knob that you could turn and shoot to try to kill them all. And that was a really cool game. 
so but you're talking this was like super like late 70s early 80s so for this game this what is it polybius Mm -hmm. for this game to be like uh you know in in an arcade okay that that part's not strange but it's so early in gaming maybe it was the beginning of them trying to figure out something that they could get the kids addicted to but not only that single out people that possibly had special abilities okay so so something that they could use maybe in a mil- for for a military application you know because i do know a lot of these kids that are flying drones they get recruited from from gamers mm. you know flying drones and stuff like that so so right. this would be this and would it, be interesting if it was something where they had something in the screen or in the actual game that either hypnotized the player, so to speak, and, and while they're under under a hypnotic you know setup that that they would be able to maybe subliminally send something into them their brain, their brain. And, and to try to make them you know to MK Ultra them. To turn them into, you know, little secret weapons or something. I, well, I've I've never heard of this, Mark. It's very, very interesting, though. It's funny you bring up Tempest because that's how they or Tempest. That's how they describe the game. It was very similar to Tempest, and some of the lore around the game is that when players would be engaging with the various levels, they would hear subliminal things like a woman crying or, you know, grotesque faces appearing like flashing on the screen. And even, you know, sort of out of the corner of their eyes, if you want to believe the more, you know, radical details that that it was actually causing them to hallucinate. Some people reported nightmares, nausea, headaches, blackouts, and some even developed amnesia from playing the game. So mm-hmm. it, it definitely got like a legend status among the kind of underground gaming scene as not, you know, something for noob gamers. It almost got like a bragging rights type of thing. Like if you could, if you could take on Polybius and you were unharmed, you know, sort of like the, like a metal attitude towards gaming. But I, I want to apologize because there's like this totally creepy, weird story that I found and I just didn't save it. And now I can't find it. But apparently this guy really, you know, recorded this in a podcast. So I'm going to just go ahead and plug the Polybius podcast. It's like one of these six episode type of audio documentary shows really worth a listen. And what they took you through was this story of a kid who quite possibly got wrapped up in, you know, some government program due to this video game and then went missing. Right. So I don't know where that story is. I've spent the last five, 10 minutes trying to duck, duck, go around for it. And, and it's not here. All I see is just the sort of general information about the, about the game. So. Yeah. I was looking it up too, while you were talking. And of course it's in Wikipedia as an urban legend and it's the Polybius uh, conspiracy. And you know, that makes me want to look into it more, not less, but Ron, what you were saying about like training them for the military through video games, that's kind of the point of the, the show future man. If anybody hasn't watched that show, it's a great fucking show. Pretty funny, but it's about a dude who plays this game and he's like the best at it. And then all of a sudden people from the future show up. It, side note he jerks off on them when they first show up which is funny but they show up and they're like you won so you're like ready to fight these people and he's like they're what? the two characters in the game that <laughs> yeah. you're fighting with. they're like your sidekick characters 
So it, it was literally a training thing from the future for what was going to be happening in the future. So he was like well prepared. He was not in the show, but it's a great watch anyway. That was yeah. Well, I was just and I, I know I got stuff. a lag, but I was going to interject when he mentioned subliminal the subliminal uh, faces and whatnot. That's also coming out of a cinematic era where subliminal cuts into movies were a thing that they did for quite a long time as a money making scheme where if if you watch old reels the nitrate reels right before the reel would change you would see a blotchy white flash in the corner and that was to tell the guy in charge that he needed to sync up the next reel well on those reels you could actually replace individual frames and what they would do is they would pop or not pop they would put subliminal cuts of popcorn and they would also put subliminal cuts of coca-cola and all these other things and they would do it at different times through in throughout the the thing to see if people would actually because you you you'll, your mind sees it that's the whole point of subliminal your mind will see it before you really realize or even if you realize that it's there and then they would they would jack up and then they would jack up the prices of you know during movie getting uh, coca-cola and popcorn and that's how they made money and then they outlawed it because it was again, influencing the public to maybe purchase things that they don't want to do. So in that era of video gaming, I would not be surprised at all if those kind of subliminal cuts, like you get to a certain checkpoint in the game without realizing it's a checkpoint in the game and boom, like you said, grotesque faces and things of that nature, haunting images, the idea that you may not actually see the image unless it's with your mind's eye, therefore giving you this horrible feeling without really being able to explain it. All of that, I would totally see as a test from the government. I would not in any way, shape or form put it past it. Every time a new technology comes out, that's the first thing that they do is they beta test it. They they try to see how the public is going to react to it, and then they tweak it before it actually launches. So I just want to throw that well, in there. That was my take on what you were talking about. Yeah, Ben, you talked about how it was it was outlawed. That's your first clue that it's still fucking happening. Just like MK Ultra Project yep. was stopped and the UFO prog program was stopped and all these things, Project Popeye with the weather, that was stopped. Okay, no, that right. means they got somewhere with it and now it went underground and you're not going to hear a goddamn thing about it after that. Well, right. what's uh, interesting... Exactly. Go ahead, Ron. Uh, oh, I was just going to say when Ben said that they had outlawed <laughs> it and and to and kind of back up what Joe was saying. Yeah, they outlawed it for the, for the, for the regular folks, right? But... But we know that the CIA is integrated into Hollywood. So for us to actually believe that they stopped doing that, that's forget about it. That that's didn't happen. I guarantee you they're exactly. still doing it because just just look at how how people get addicted to certain shows. I mean, you can get addicted to a show because it's really good. Take Yellowstone, for instance, and their spinoff, 1883, which I liked both of those. Right. Watched every episode. Hey, I don't sit down and watch whole whole like series like ever. Right. But but this is when it, it, for the public, when they outlawed that uh, and I can remember when that was a big controversy and that was quite a few years ago. This is when you started seeing them go from doing a subliminal messages to product placement like like. So if Coca-Cola was like, well, if we can't get you to interject that into into the movie, then then we're going to pay you to have your character drink Coca-Cola or to smoke camels or whatever mm. and that's what threw the public off so now the public's like well no it must be illegal because now they're doing product placement is such a big thing because if you remember in the old days if they showed a beer it would be this one generic beer that was in every single movie and, right. it, and it looked like a weird like a knockoff of a budweiser can 
or, or if they were going to drink a hot coffee, it wouldn't be Dunkin' Donuts or anything like that. It would be this one blue, blue and white coffee cup that was used in every single movie. I'm talking way back, like in the 70s and 80s. Of course, nowadays, it's nothing to see somebody walking around with a Dunkin' Donuts cup, especially if they're doing a movie that's based in New England, and especially if it's based in Boston. Mm. Everybody's walking around with a Dunkin' Donuts cup, right? Because Dunkin' Donuts rules up here. Well, I'm glad you point that out because Polybius was actually like an Easter egg in Marvel's Loki in the Simpsons, of course, because they just suck everything into that show. And then Nine Inch Nails of all bands has Polybius in their music video. And what's really interesting, and and this is where the conspiracy theory on my end comes in. Are you guys familiar with the Cicada program at all? Have you guys heard about that? Oh, actually, did we talk about that before, Joe, like a long time ago? We Did we talk have. about that like a, like a year or so ago? Well, it was yeah. allegedly like a code breaker recruiting type of thing where they sent these codes out for just anybody to go ahead and try to crack. And allegedly, the people who were able to crack this cicada code were recruited, recruited into some government organization. Funny enough, that happened a couple of years before QAnon popped off. So I'm not saying anything, but... It's interesting that the Polybius is named after a Polybius square, which is one of one of the ancient types of ciphers that the Greeks used, right? So the Greeks would use this sort of checkerboard code to encode certain things. It would be a series of letters just in a magic square, right? And this is, you know, no coincidence that they would name something like this that was maybe potentially recruiting people or or, or even inspiring mk ultra type you know phenomena well well i'm sorry mark i know no, we got right. a little bit we got a little bit of a lag here too but but you know it could have been uh see see where the conspiracy theory comes in what is what is the uh, the actual re the actual reasoning for them doing this like oh because we have a couple of different angles one they did it for recruitment like to recruit cryptographers possibly code breakers right or two to just see how they could maybe form a brainwash. Well, not brainwashing people, but but to get people, uh, you know, control their actions. You know, I just the word we need is lead their behavior right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Change their behavior and somehow mm. to see if they could maybe take with these Polybius machines and put them in all kinds of arcades if they wanted to get to a point where they wanted to control kids in that particular age group or get kids in that particular age group okay with wanting to join the army because you got to remember when polybius came out that was right after the vietnam war and trying to get people to go into the army was or any of the armed forces back then was very very difficult right so this this might have been something for them to you know say well we're going to get these kids to play this they're all you know what age are kids that go in arcades you know yeah, 13, teens, 13 kids, to yeah. 20, right? 13 to 20, 21, whatever. Because once you hit 20 or 21, well, now you're into the drinking game. You're not playing video games, which I shouldn't say that because that's a big thing, drinking and playing video games. But I'm talking back in the day, right? So so, so it would have so made sense if that was a program they were going to try to maybe as a just a military recruiting apparatus. And, and, and instead of taking your abs fabs, to see, you know, what kind of job you're going to take when you when you join the service. Well, they already know what job you're going to get because they did they just scored you by the use of this Polybius gaming gaming platform. Uh, I mean, it's it's a cool play on the government. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us at all. 
and I wouldn't be surprised if it does have an MK Ultra element to it. Right. Well, and and it became so much more well, obvious with like Call of Duty and all of those games that are just explicitly, you know, military. But go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was going to say, and it's just a kind of coattail off of that. That's the funny thing about the ASVAB. It's not actually scored the way that you would score a test where based on correct answers, it gives you a percentage of yes and no. You know, the way that testing used to be done. I recently took it actually for the second time in 2014. And I ended up realizing that they have like 18 factors and your scoring itself is based off of the percentage of people who have taken it within that year. So for instance, if I had taken it way back in 1992, when everything was much more analog and all this stuff, chances that I got as high of a score as I did are not as high. You would have had a whole lot more people that were geared in that era towards doing things analog, writing out their problems, this, that, and the other. But instead, they give you three and a half hours to do the test. I got it done in an hour and 15 minutes. Passing is 36 and 99 is the highest. Well, the reason why 99 is the highest is because you can't get a hundred, you can't get in the hundredth percentile of people who have taken it that year. You can only be in the 99th percentile. So I got an 81. I was in the 81st percentile. But the problem is, is that it's based off of a lot of things. For instance, I had a whole lot more answers wrong because I did it in an hour and 15 minutes. But because of the amount of questions that I got right within an hour and 15 minutes completing the test, it jacked my score up the other direction. So all of those little things where you're talking about this game. Yeah, I think that that was actually, if you want to get into a larger conspiracy, I think that was one of the entire reasons for arcades. They wanted to see exactly what was going to happen because most of the ASVAB isn't actually school work. Most of it is you have an entire part of the course where it's all based on here are three random images. We're going to show you four more and you have to pick the one that most resembles to you what the first one was. And so then you look at the first one, you look at the next four and you pick it. And then it does, you know, it's algorithm to decide why or what kind of person you are that would pick that particular answer. It's not really based off of, I mean, and I'm not saying the whole test is like that. There is a lot of math, but they asked me about astrology. I was like, at that point, I didn't know shit about astrology. I still don't know shit about astrology, but I knew way ASFAB? less than shit back then. Yeah. They ask you about astrology and the ASVAB. That's fucking yes. weird. They ask that you about all kinds of stuff. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. Hey, Ben, what you're talking about, those those things in, in the new ASVABs, is yeah. uh, that is like what some of the IQ tests that I used to have to take Correct. It, it's it's I did, uh, the last IQ test I did was- It's an aptitude uh, test, yeah was uh a hundred questions and every question was based on those types of problems yeah and at the end yeah, of that test my brain was going right that's the but, thing uh, is that some of them make sense some of them some of them are 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 like building blocks you can understand some of them so the idea is, is that they give an array of these things I think I had to answer like 75 of them and the test clips along pretty quick. But the idea is that once you've answered all 75, they take what shapes this, that and the other out of all 75 of those questions. And it gears you and tells them what kind of gearing you are based on, let's say, uh, 
numbers 1, 7, 18, and 45 were all a very particular kind of pattern that they threw in there. If you got all of those right, that tells them he's geared towards this. And then it gives you line scores of, of what it is that you're supposedly good at. I look back at it now and I'm like, dude, five years, five years later, I would have scored completely differently just from doing different things in life that I didn't know at the time that I took it. But would the other ones have depreciated? Would I have taken longer on the test? Would I have gotten a lower score because I took longer? All of those things. I think that going back to what Mark's brought up is I think that a lot of the 70s and 80s when it comes to early video games are exactly that. It was all just a test for aptitude. I think if you got the astrology question correct, your score would have been lower. I will say that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, maybe they're trying to root out, root out the woo-woo cops or Exactly. Soldiers. They're like, oh, he knows what a Virgo is? Boo. He free thinks way too much. No, not this guy. The military well, is looking for people who will follow orders no matter what at the drop of a hat. I won't go into that. But yeah, Ron, sorry. Well, you know, the military did have... Actually, I do know why did... they had... Sorry. Oh, oh, go ahead, Ben. He's lagging. <sighs> Sorry, okay, let me, just let me a just... horrible lag, and it's... I'll okay, be the moderator. So... Ron, you go. Okay, so, you know, the, the military did have their own program when they were trying to do the remote viewing, right? So, 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 they, so they, they actually did that movie, The Men That Stare at Goats. And I actually have, when I bought that movie years ago, I got the bobblehead and it's sitting in, on the table in my studio of the goat. But anyways, that movie, even though it was supposed to be a dark comedy, was actually based partially on truth of these programs that the military did do and did set up. And that sounds, and this was right around this time too, Mark. So it would be interesting to see if, if this Polybius game was was built by the military based on this code program that the military did for remote viewing and using the power of your mind to right because right. like even like like not just in the movie but i read accounts where where a guy actually did go into a room and stared a goat down and the goat died well, so, I'm so glad you brought that up because not only is that based on a true story, but I just was speaking with Ryan Bledsoe last night and uh, he told me that according to him, some friends of his who are involved with those sorts of organizations assured him that the Men and Goats movie is based on a true story. So so there's some, it. yeah, take Ryan Bledsoe for, yeah. well, We'll take Ryan Bledsoe for, you know, his story is his story and you can believe him if you if you'd like. I tend to think that I'm a good judge of character and I don't think Ryan's lying to me. But, you know, the Bledsoe family has received a lot of attention from groups like NASA and other three letter organizations that I dare not name. Ooh, scary. And yeah, I guess he's he's pretty confident that that actually is exactly what uh, they're doing and and that's why they're so worried about what his father experienced but i love it 30 minutes on polybius i did not expect that i'm trying to throw the the torch on to whoever else has a story that they want to share if unless you guys have more to add on on polybius but joe jen ron ben either one of you if you guys want to take it away with what you had prepared go for it what you got ron 
Oh, go ahead, Joe. So I, I didn't get, I didn't really get that that email or that that list from Mark. So I'm just kind of, uh, I'm just kind of. You what? you have a you have a conspiracy that you can tell us though. I mean, you're full of you're full of knowledge. You could pull something out of the memory banks for us. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of conspiracies. I mean, my head's full of them, right? So, so, so my latest my latest thing that I'm actually <clears throat> interested in finding out what's going on, and I actually have my contact uh, in the UK is keeping keeping their eye out for any uh, because they happen to live. Not too far from Windsor Castle, so so not that this not that this is a uh, conspiracy theory, but you know we've been hearing a lot of things lately about how you know the 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 war in Ukraine is a distraction from the Pfizer dump, and 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 then now of course we see that Pfizer is applying to be delisted delisted from the New York Stock Exchange, right? Which I find to be completely odd. And then so now so now they want to take our our like our attention off of that. They want to take our attention off the unraveling agenda that was the Rona for the last two years. That's made everybody's life nothing but a blur. So the new thing is, and I think our buddy Steve over at Slow News Days actually presented this in, in uh, Slow News Day. And he said that probably what what's going to be coming next is that we're going to get a report that the queen has died. So, so, yeah. that's, my, so that's my newest thing that I'm looking into. So I have my contact over there, keeping an eye out for uh, a lot of air activity, a lot of unusual helicopter activity, higher, more than normal traffic in and out of Windsor, just just so we can get on get on the lead on that when we hear something that's going on. Not really a conspiracy, just something I'm working on now. And if you guys, I know you guys, uh, Joe's been listening to the show. I've been uh, diving into the whole Kazarian Empire thing, which is a ton of conspiracies tied into that. So, so I don't know if you guys want to get into anything like that. I know I don't, I don't really want to wear that subject out, but you know, I did probably another two hours of reading on it today, and it's just endless, the information I, and how and how far, it, it, how deep it goes and how far it goes. You know. Yeah, yeah. give us a, give us the footnotes, Ron. I'd love to hear you know at least the the touch points. I know you're planning on going deep on the subject very soon, uh, but. Yeah, give us a little taste of it before. Yeah, you, get you know. Cake. So the funny thing about the whole Kazarian Empire is, is me being like a history guy, I you know have heard of it in the past, but I just never thought it was it was anything that interesting or you know nothing really different than reading about the Mongols or the Huns or or anything like that. But but because of the thing that's going on in Ukraine, it, it came to the forefront because Ukraine was was basically the seat of the Kazarian Empire, what is now Ukraine, or I should say what is now eastern Ukraine, like from Kiev over, right? All the way over to the Caucasus Mountains, Armenia, northern Iraq, and things like that, that whole area, right? So uh, so I start looking into it and then I see this term, the Kazarian Mafia. And I'm like, okay, so so now I'm interested even more. And then I start reading into it and what the whole conspiracy theory is. And the more that I'm reading, the more I'm thinking it's not a conspiracy, is that the what was left of the Kazarian Empire is now called the Kazarian Mafia. And they are actually the New World Order, the Cabal, the, you know, what, whatever you want to call it, like like the Illuminati or whatever. But, but so I did a lot of reading about that and how uh, the Kazarians were the 13th tribe because they, they selected Judaism as their religion. Well, they didn't select. They, they were given an ultimatum by the Russians 
like the early the early czarist russians that they had to because because the kazarian people were so out of control and just just off the wall that the russians said oh listen if you want us to like basically to paraphrase if you want us to not like wipe you all out you need to pick a religion and you need to make your practice that religion and he said you have to pick one of the abrahamic religions which is judaism islam and uh, christianity so so they picked judaism right so so they're called the 13th tribe because you know judaism only had the 12 tribes which only out of that 12 we only know where two went so this is kind of part of the, of our series that we're doing is where's the other 10 tribes that were scattered all over the world right but we're not talking about that now we're talking about the 13th tribe who is uh, now taking on the role of being Jewish. And they're not Jewish because, you know, there's Jewish and then there's Hebrew. So so these so these Kazarian Jews are actually non-Semitic Jews. They're not Semites. They didn't come from the bloodline of Shem, which was one of Noah's sons. Which and are Ron, your, I, which are I, your I, Semites? I cut you off, but I, I I love that you brought that up because I've said that for years. I'm like, J- Jewish is not a a race okay jewish is a religion it's it's something i could switch to judaism tomorrow and be like yeah i'm a jew so you can't Correct. say anti yeah. shit against me and they pull that card all the time and it's because they're not hebrew i love that you said that sorry go on yeah yeah and that, and that's the whole gist of the where this whole uh, kazarian empire kazarian mafia thing is going because when they were ultimately defeated by the kievan rus which is which is now a people from russia and belarus and even to this day, this is why Russia and Belarus are still allies, because they consider themselves brothers, like how we would with Canada, like as an example. So because, you know, if somebody messed with Canada, well, we're not going to let that happen. Right. But uh, but anyway, Cuban Trudeau. Well, I'm talking like like real, like real redneck, hardcore Canadians that are just like real hardcore redneck Americans. There's no difference between they us. fight communist China with us. I know what yes, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so then I'm finding out that that when the Kazarians dispersed, right, then they headed they headed west into Europe. And, and this is where European European Jews came from. Right. So, so now the rabbit hole goes deeper because we hear the theory that Adolf Hitler was a Jew. Right. Through the Rothschild bloodline. And why is he rounding up these particular Jews? And wiping them out, right? So, the, so this is so this is the thing that I've been working on and doing a ton of reading on, but but what we're hearing is that the Kazaria Mafia actually is the Rothschilds. The oh, where do we go? Just just all the Illuminati bloodline is is what's right. considered the Kazaria Mafia now. Well, and, and you when hear they a say lot that, about that thirteenth family too, that connection there, and just the fact that this topic like you guys touched on is like a minefield you know like if you if you get into jews or anything like that they automatically label you as a anti-semite obviously none of us are afraid of that we have a very smart listener base and none of us would take none of them would take us out of context but i think that yeah it's it's kind of like flat earth where you have people that are really 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 adamant about it and that turns people off and unfortunately ends all open-minded conversation but i'm not afraid to get into it and here's the funny thing the whole idea of the flat earth is tied into the to some of the history of the kazarian empire 
when when they you know you had Copernicus who who came out and said that the Earth was round, right? So the, so that's so how the story goes. Just from the quick reading I did today, that the Kazarian Empire is actually you know you know the descendants of the Kazarian Empire. You know, at this point, the Jews, like the 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 Jewish sect that actually study Babylonian uh, Talmudism, which is actually uh, mysticism and occult and things like that, they they're they're like basically admitting that in the text that in all the biblical readings and inscription that the Earth is in fact a flat plane. So, in order, whatever reason to stir up the shit with the Christians or whatever, they get they get this Copernicus guy to go out there and say, oh no, you gotta you gotta go and you gotta push that the earth is actually the a globe that it's round, the the, uh, the heliocentric model. Mm. You know, I, I mean without getting too deep into it because I just barely started reading that part of it. It takes us back to this, you know, idea that I talk about a lot on my show, how everything's politicized, you know, like mm -hmm. they've politicized even the way you see the world, the way you see your body, the way you see your neighbors, they've politicized it. And this is not anything new. It's something they've been doing for thousands of years, especially considering what you just said, Ron. Wow. Yeah. So, so the Kazarian Empire is responsible for basically everything that is ill with the world. And, and a lot of it's based on the the uh, Babylonian Talmudism. Now, you mm. know that you have the books of the Judaic uh, religion, you have the Talmud, you have the Torah, and then you have the Kabbalah. And the Kabbalah is real mysticism and occult magic, uh, money magic, things like that, which came out of Babylon, which was adopted again by by the Jewish by the Jewish people, not necessarily the Hebrews. Right. But 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 this is this is what they're using now, because Right in those teachings, that tells you everything, everything is based on its opposite. So what is supposed to be good, we're now going to make bad. What is bad, we're going to make good. And I don't really know how far you want to get into it, but, but this is all what's going on now in the world that we see. How everything is upside down. Everything is inverse. Everything is just opposite of what it should be, right? And this is exactly what I'm reading from this Talmudism that goes back like 2000 years. Like the teachings go back like like 2,500 years or almost 3000 years. It's like insane how all this, you know, the worship of Baal, of Moloch. And so now I have to read the Talmud and I have to buy the book that explains how to read the Talmud because this is this is really like the, like the Kabbalah. That is the root word for the word the Kabbal. Mm, right. Which the definition of cabal is a group of people that are working together to push an evil agenda. Mm. So, you know, a, a rough translation of that. But anyways, right. it's just I got into this subject by accident. No, thank it, you, it, Ron. No, I mean in like in my research, right. like for our like our series that we're doing, like like I just happened on to this and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. So then I started doing some reading and I dude, I've got like 40 different web pages saved now in my bookmarks and I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm finding emailing stuff to me so I can pick it up on my computer at home so I can read about it. I'm just, I'm being sucked in like I was sucked in with the Nazis. And the whole thing is it's all tied into the Nazis. <clears throat> it's tied, in with, the, the, it's tied in with the Puritans. It's tied in with the Puritans, which are my ancestors. 
like 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 the Kazarian Empire sent the Puritans over to the New World so we could get our shit going over here. And I mean, look what's happened. <coughs> the Federal Reserve I had a, system. I have a hard you know? time focusing is because everything connects to everything else, and it's like. Do you want to focus on this one little area? Because there's so many nodes that branch out from there, and then you get going, and then it's been three hours. So, oh yeah, so like like when I go to work, like I'm supposed to work, right? But but I go to work and I hang out, and I have two offices at my at my shop. I got one downstairs. I call it my you know my office for the people, and then I got my office upstairs, which is actually the studio now, where I go up to hide, right? So, so I'm in there and, and the first thing I do, I go in, you know, I get my coffee, I'll have a smoke and then I'll, you know, check my shop emails and I'll do this and see what I got to, you know, what insurance company I got to chase down because the cheap pricks haven't paid me yet and, and, and doing this and doing that. And then answer all my, answer all my phone messages or emails or whatever. That usually takes like a half hour, 45 minutes. And then, and then I'll slowly go over here. And I'll start typing. Oh, let me just check this out just real quick. I got like 10 minutes. And then I start reading this article. And then I pick up this thing that's like 70 pages. So I'll start reading. I'll get to like 20 or 30 pages. I can read pretty fast. And I'm like, man, I'm already getting lost. I better stop there. And then I see this other link. And I'm like, oh, what is that? So when they say going down the rabbit hole, that's exactly what you're doing. Right? Metaphorically, you're going down the rabbit hole. And it's like insane. And this whole Kazarian thing, it just blows my mind. And and I hope when I present it out to the people, it will in turn blow their minds. Because it's all of world history of the cabal and everything bad and everybody that's working against us working sniffs. Like it's all there in black and white. It's 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 something that I have the ability to decipher and put it into terms and talk about so that people can understand it. I'm very excited to do that. And well, we're you're grateful that you can. Uh, yeah, I'm thankful for people like you who can actually articulate things to people because I'll go down the rabbit hole for eight hours straight at work listening to, to a show or a book or whatever. And then I go to explain it to Jen at night and, and she's like, oh, what did you learn? And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. and that's it. <laughs> well, you got to listen to it yourself, I guess, because I don't know. I you feel know, the same way sometimes. Oh, man, I love that. <laughs> figuring out how you're going to present it is 90% of the battle. Like you could take 10% of the information, 90% of that is how you're going to be able to tell it to the listeners. And I, and I think I'm getting that down pat. I mean, I don't know how you, uh, Joe, you listened to the first Kazarian episode, right? Not this, yeah. not the oh, new yeah. episode, but the one before. Yeah. So, so I think I just, I laid out, I just kind of scratched the surface there a little bit, but to, it's just a super amazing subject to me. Agreed. Yeah, I love yeah, you guys it. Are doing great. Sean and Buckley tagging along. Like you guys are doing a great job. It's awesome. Well, Thank Joe, you. Jen, Ben, who wants to follow that? That was quite a big conspiracy Ron just laid out for us. Flat Earth, Jews. I mean, you really didn't leave anything out. So <laughs> Jen, Ben, Joe. Ben, did you want to do yours? You can start if you want. I got a pee, but I can start too. Are you muted? <clears throat> well, I was gonna say the only one, the only one that I brought to the table was the uh, moon landing, and I think all of us have talked to our audiences at nauseum about that. There's not any new evidence, but it was it's it is my favorite one. It's still a good one, though, because Ben. It doesn't make yeah. sense. It's, it's a super up. interesting one, Ben. Super interesting. Okay, fine. Sure. Yeah, it was nice. Hey, listen, before you get no, into uh, it, no, no, no. we want to hear why. <laughs> think it's fake we 
fuck everything else. Just break down your like train of thinking. I don't know how to say that. Just say stuff. Okay. Where did you so, come to this conclusion? Got to take off my hat for this. All right. So, okay. So basically years and years ago, there was a dateline that they put out and I think it was in a 2001. Yeah. Over 20 years ago where they actually brought this conspiracy theory. Now there's a whole other line of thought to the fact that if they put it on dateline, therefore it could be controlled opposition. But this was also, in my opinion, an honest research because of what they actually brought to the table in the way of argument. But the idea is, is that there are too many inconsistencies based on the video footage, on the transcripts, and everything else that don't add up. One, the way that they use, or the cameras that they use. The cameras that they used were undeniably set cameras. You could tell by the crosshairs for markers, which is what they used at least at the time of the moon landing, for being able to figure out where they were at on set and where they should have the camera. But they tried to hide it. That was the thing is that where they put the crosshairs was right on like lines and things of that nature within the pictures of the moon. So that was a small one that I remember hearing about and thinking, okay, well, what kind of what's the word I'm looking for supported that was the idea that it all of the jumping that you see them. If you speed it up because they had this technology back then, if you speed it up times two, meaning that they slowed it down by two or in half, it's just a guy running in the sand in a big oversized, funny looking suit. Now, the other thing was, is the shadows. The shadows for the lighting looked like a set, multiple directions. And of course, there has been counter theories. Well, you're closer to this, that and the other. But where they were supposed supposedly at when these pictures were taken was the dark side of the moon. Yet there's light. And the problem that you have is in these pictures, the rocks themselves, not like big things or anything like that, but the rocks themselves are actually casting shadows across each other from two different light sources. Mm. Another one that people brought up is why in the hell is the flag waving if there's no gravity? That one okay. was easier to, to uh, debunk, though, Ben, because well, I know because there's wind. the mainstream. No, because they said there is a uh, a straight pole attached to the other end of the flag to keep it upright, knowing that it, there is zero gravity. That's but they say the reason it was moving is because of the pole moving or some shit. It's can I, yeah, I believe what you want. Can I Go add ahead. to this? Cause I, I, Ben, I love that you brought this up. Cause I just watched Jay Widener's uh, Stanley Kubrick film breakdown. And he basically poses the theory that Stanley Kubrick was basically given this sweetheart deal after he put out Dr. Strangelove because the government was like, listen, we can't have you making movies, making fun of our generals in the nuclear war. So if you don't if you don't do this, like we'll kill you. Right. Sort of thing. And he was like, all right, I won't I won't say a thing about helping you guys fake the moon landing if you give me an unlimited budget to make 2001 A Space Odyssey. And if you look at 2001 A Space Odyssey, you'll see that they use this type of screen projection where they would you know have this sort of glass fabric sheet that would be in the background and they are able to project the image of you know a desert on the background for this 2001 a space odyssey for that beginning scene where the monkeys are all you know jumping around and whatnot and 
Jay Widener shows how just like in the movie 2001 Space Odyssey, the moon landing footage, you never see the background. The background is always obscured. The straight line is always obscured because what you have there is that piece of fabric that's getting a projection onto it from another angle, right? And you can kind of see like, oh, wow, this is a set, right? And Richard Hoagland has pointed out the weird, like, why is the sky not black? They're in space. And when we shine a light and edit the video this way, you see that there seems to be like a flat surface with all of these like shiny, weird light anomalies on it, right? Because of the screen. But Richard Hoagland seems to think that means there are glass cities on the moon. So I don't know what that says about Richard Hoagland, but Jay Widener paints a pretty uh, brilliant picture in this little film. And then he shows how the movie The Shining is basically a metaphor for Stanley Kubrick trying to uh, fake this moon landing. And I'm sure people have seen that online there. You could look that conspiracy theory up. You can even hear Jay Widener probably talk about it on several podcasts but it was absolutely fascinating to see the 2001 space odyssey footage next to the moon landing footage and what's interesting is jay widener's theory isn't that they didn't go to the moon he just says that they faked the footage in order to get it in front of the russians and give the appearance that we are ahead of the space war so jay widener's not quite like the anti-space approach to the fake moon landing footage which is interesting because it's it's been taken on from so many different angles. But Ben, great, great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Oh. Yeah, you know, I'd like to just add something to that. Like, like Ben, like, like I want to believe big time that we went to the moon. Now, in 1969, I was, what was I, six years old? You know, six, maybe going on seven. And I was, all ab- I was all about the moon. I had the the moon landing curtains, the moon landing sheets, the moon landing pillowcases. I mean, I was absolutely into it, right? And and of course, you know, when you're young and, and, you know, technology being what it was back then on television, I mean, I think it would be real easy to fake it like back then, especially when you had, I mean, you didn't have high resolution cameras. You didn't have any of that stuff or the, any technology, any anything remotely close to what we have, right? So you wanted to believe that. And, of course, that was, like you say, dealing with uh, the Russians and, you know, being all upset because they had Sputnik up there before we did, you know, the satellite. <clears throat> but when you think back on it now, you know, thinking like what a clearer mind and a, and a, and a, and a lot more years under your belt. And understanding that there are things as conspiracies, and we do know that there's things that the government can, will, and did do that other people would just never agree with, hence the conspiracy theory. And when you start looking at the whole moon landing thing, you're like, like like the moon rover. How the hell did they get that thing up there? You, you know, if, if, the, if the lunar landing module was that size... I mean, was this thing just modular and they just got out and they clicked it all together? Was it strapped to the side? <laughs> and, then they, and then they drove it around up there. I mean, this thing had to weigh, had to weigh a thousand pounds. I mean, unless it was made well, out of some space age, you know, material and it only weighed, you know, a couple hundred pounds or something. But I mean that, and then you see them taking off, like when they take off in, in the, the landing module and the, and the bottom piece stays there and the top piece just shoots off. 
Like it just shoots off and ends up landing exactly uh, not too far from Cape Canaveral. <clears throat> so no one had ever seen this before, though. No one had ever seen anything like this. It wasn't really in the movies at all. It wasn't definitely, I mean, video wasn't even a really big deal then. So no one had ever seen anything like this. So of course they're going to look at it and say, oh, this is what this must look like. You know, and also well, the United States was trying to be the best. Russia's awful. And they were in this space race. I hate to bring it back to like the COVID thing, but it's similar to now where this is what they did then. And now the propaganda is the same. They're like, oh, we're going to make a vaccine for a virus that doesn't we don't have a cure a for. We never right have. We're going to do it super fast. So it's kind of a similar thing. Where they're like, okay, well, wow. Yeah, you know, the sorry, thing Jen. is too, Jen. Jen, back then, nobody questioned what they saw on television. Because exactly television, is, television at that point was a new thing. Well, speaking of which, I just saw just tonight on Jeopardy, they had a category called vaccines. And all the questions were phrased like this. Uh, vaccine, this vaccine protects you from this. This vaccine protects you from this. And they were literally trying to name, you know, the diseases. But... Ah, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to go too far into that, but it's absolutely sickening to see how people take that for granted. And they really just don't think twice. I mean, I have to stand in front of the TV sometimes and be like to my grandma, Mame, they're lying. This is a lie. You know, just forget it. And she still she doesn't care. She's just like, oh, OK, whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's it's ridiculous what they've done with well, that. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, some of the more nuanced things like those minor details that they brought up of the speed, this, that, and the other. Some of the things that I'm not sure if it can be confirmed or not, but there was an article that I read one time that they had recently, NASA had recently partnered with Disney right before that. Now, you also have just standard human behavior to back this up. So I always look at all the evidence that the, the, I guess you could say inanimate object evidence. So things like when the thing takes off to go back to earth, there's a camera panning on it while it goes up. Okay. First of all, how in the world were the, who was doing it? Okay, so that's the first question. It's like, okay, well, maybe it was, uh, you know, remote controlled by them while they were lifting up. That can easily be taken away. But what In can't be? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, remote, that, that that's that's a whole different thing and that, that they did have at that point. But what can't be is live streaming it. Well, you can barely do that across the world. We're doing it right now and there's lag. How in the world were they live streaming it back rocket. to Earth? Yeah. <laughs> on top of it being remote controlled. I don't think that that's possible. So you have those you have those kind of things. But on top of that, if Disney had partnered with them, the ability to make it at along with the studio cameras and everything else that you're talking about, that doesn't make sense. Now, their reason is that they no longer have the technology. My idea, they definitely either one did have the technology and still do coming out of Roswell and everything else that now we know about because it's been declassified is I'm like either one, they always had it and they still do. But the biggest question human behaviorally that I look at is why have we not gone back then? Because if we could go there in 1960 fucking nine with virtually no kind of electronic hardware in comparison to what we have now, 
how in the world did we get, you know, supposedly get up there? Now, the other thing to look at human behaviorally is the idea that, what was it, Apollo 11 that made that supposedly made it up there? Yeah, Apollo 11, yes. Okay, so the other Apollos that tried, including I believe it was Apollo 6 or Apollo 7, it blew up on the launch pad. Well, this Dateline episode also brought out the fact that multiple people in it were supposedly creating lawsuits against NASA and were going to expose them. One of them died in his car on a train track because he got hit by a train. The other guy uh, committed suicide, supposedly. All of these things, or sorry, the attorney to the astronauts that died on the launch pad was going to continue on with the case. He died on the train tracks, and then yet another attorney that was going to be going with him, he supposedly killed himself. I'm like, okay, so for 10 Apollos, you couldn't even get off the fucking launch pad. And then all of a sudden, the 11th one, everything when it's go time just lines up perfect. And you guys not only get to the moon, but you guys come back. I don't buy it's any of that shit. It was the 11th one. That's why, obviously. It, it went seamlessly from start to finish to start to finish on the way back. Everything went great, including the camera pan. Everything was great. It was like a Hollywood movie almost, you could say. You know, the the point in uh, The Shining that really gives a, away maybe some details on this whole thing is you guys remember the famous scene, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, right? And that that's all over the paper and the, the girl finds and she's horrified. She's like, oh my God, this is all he's been writing all day. But if you look at that word all, the way the typewriter spelled it out, it almost looks like A11, A11. And not only that, the, you know, the Danny, the boy, his son in the movie at one point is wearing an Apollo 11 shirt, playing with some cars on a weird shaped carpet that almost looks like a launch pad and, you know, gets up, goes into room 237, which the moon is apparently 237 miles from the earth. And on the key that's like opening the door, this like little tag, it says the word room N. And if you flip that around, you can get the word moon from that so it's very interesting that you know these little subliminal clues were in the film the shining which stanley made sometime after all of that and uh, apparently the rumor is he was very exhausted from having to do all this work for nasa and lie to his wife and and all this stuff so you kind of see that dynamic between the main characters in the shining as well so i i obviously don't know all the symbolism off the top of my head, but I definitely recommend people check out that film. So, Mark, there is a whole laundry list of conspiracy mm. theories tied into not the story of The Shining, because The Shining is a Stephen King story. Right. But tied into the actual movie, because Kubrick right. obviously directed that movie. And like you say, The Room 237, The Key, The Carpet, other symbolism, The Maze. All these other things is all tied into the fake moon landing. Right. When you when you start looking at these conspiracy, yeah, I started looking into that a few years ago, and I don't know why I got uh, kind of sidetracked on it. But while while we're on a subject of Kubrick, like what set Stanley Kubrick apart from everybody else, right? What was the last movie that he did? Uh, Eyes Wide uh, Shut, right? Yeah, Eyes, Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut before he passed away. 
there was a conspiracy theory that he was told by the cabal. I like to say cabal. It just sounds cool. He was told by the cabal, do not do this film. Right. Do not release this film. And if you do, you're going to be dead. I don't right. know if you guys have ever heard that. No, yeah, character. and they mentioned that in the Jay Widener movie I was referencing, and apparently there are scenes that did not make it to the final cut, and uh, he died four days after that meeting or something like that. So, yeah, it was or, or four days after the film was released, uh, okay, something and, and, to that effect. What was the premise of the whole movie of Eyes Wide Shut? It was about the Illuminati. It was about sex cults, sex magic. It was about uh, pedophilia because there was the scene with the young girl that was at the costume shop, right? Which I think is uh, Lily Sobieski, the actress uh, that played that part. And so there was a lot of symbolism in that movie. Okay, just, you know, I mean, when you look at Eyes Wide Shot, I thought it was a really good movie. You know, I'm, I'm a Tom Cruise fan. I know he's a Scientologist or whatever, and I'm definitely a Nicole Kidman fan, but what is Nicole Kidman known for? Her dad is involved in some type of cabal, cabalist role and that has to do with pedophilia and uh, sex trafficking out of Australia. I mean, if people want to look into that, that conspiracy theory, right? So, so why is Nicole Kidman hooked up with Tom Cruise, who was this another actor that just blew up on the scene, came from nowhere, right? Was in, I think one of his first movies was The Outsiders which was with all the youngsters. It was Tom Cruise, Emilio Estevez. I believe Charlie Sheen was in that. Patrick Swayze was in that. Ralph Macchio, Thomas C. Howell. All these people, like like the early, like the beginning of another Brat Pack, all was in that, that movie, The Outsiders, and they all went off to do great things, mm. right? So, so, but then Tom Cruise comes out, and then we find out, you know, he's, he's into the Hollywood thing. And like when you want to talk about Hollywood occultism, right? All you, all these major Hollywood styles are part of Scientology, which is a right. cult, which right. is a cult, right? Right. And so. you talk about all this like MK Ultra stuff, connecting it all, like Joe likes to do. And I maybe I should leave that to you, Joe, when we end after we hear Jen's conspiracy. But yeah, I think there's definitely a, a case to be made that a lot of these actors have gone through that type of programming themselves just to get to that high pedigree of, of acting prowess. But awesome stuff, Ben. Jen, what do you think? Pressure's on. What's your story? <laughs> Well, I don't really have a great story. I don't think you'll like it. And I'm not a monologist like like Ron. everyone else. Oh. <laughs> so, but I do want to hear everyone's thoughts. It's not really a big deal, but my favorite conspiracy theory, theory I guess, ever since I was little is that the pyramids all over the world were built by some sort of a different race. It could be aliens. It could be higher beings or maybe like a different form of human, whatever. But they were definitely built by something else. There's too much too much weirdness involved with all of the way they faced Magnetic North, which they had no way to determine when they were built. Each block weighed like two tons, and they had nothing that we know of that could possibly hold any weight like that, unless you guys have heard something like that. I don't know. And the, the three pyramids of Giza match up exactly with Orion's belt. There's just a lot of really weird shit going on with it. So 
I don't know. Yeah, just your logistics of of building that kind of Uh, thing. Oh, and then hieroglyphics. They look like helicopters, spaceships. There are um, inserts inside of the pyramids that look exactly like light bulbs. And but they're removed. There's no light bulbs there or anything like that. But it looks like they powered something or I don't know. I think it's super cool, though. I want to hear everyone's thoughts on that. So why Absolutely. do you think that that was not a good one, Jen? That is yeah, awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. We can spend two so, hours talking about just that. <laughs> so so I'll just go real quick, so then everybody else can jump in. But not only are the pyramids at Giza aligned with Orion, the Mayan pyramids in Teotihuacan, just outside of Mexico City, same exact configuration. Oh, right. weird. Yes. Right. Yeah, I, I love it. And on the point of the hieroglyphs, I've even seen, I think it's in Indonesia or somewhere in Southeast Asia where they have dinosaur hieroglyphs where it looks like uh, stegosauruses and, and even bronchosaurus that are, are in, you know, engraved into this stone in a, in a temple that was only discovered a couple hundred years ago, I believe, maybe even more recently than that. But yeah, that anchor uh, anchor Wat, I think is the one you're right. talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I want to say there was some similar hieroglyphics at Golbeki Tepe. Is that how you pronounce that? Mm, yeah, Golbeki Tepe has animals yeah, yeah. on it that are undiscovered by science. They don't resemble anything that we know in like traditional zoology. Yes, but Angkor Wat is in Cambodia. I want to say it's in Cambodia, and that is where they had the the Stegosaurus. I'm not 100% sure on that, but pretty sure that's where it was okay so 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 that's a whole other conspiracy theory where where was there humans at the same time there was dinosaurs mm. but the thing how with the pyramids is the is, how yeah. old is our society how old is the actual planet where i mean it seems like they're trying to tell us dinosaurs were here a very long time ago the earth is this many billions of years old and dinosaurs were here these are all the eras we have but it could have been 2000 years ago and we just have no idea because we have no idea it could have been right? less than and, that too. Yeah. i i was going to go into it not i'm not starting my shit right now but i was going to go into like basically uh you know, manipulated history and that feeds right into that where i'm mm. like i don't know what to believe past like 50 years ago let alone 200 or 2000 so well, and we can go into that more but more onto the pyramids of it. <laughs> no, yeah definitely not- dive into the pyramids that's I a was- great subject I was going to say what's interesting about the dating, I just watched a documentary that Freddie Silva put together. And what I noticed is they're using constellations and the basically predicting where those constellations would have been in the sky in order to align with that structure and then using that as a judgment for possibly how long ago these things were built because obviously you can't carbon date stone you really you know can only guess how old these things are based on the weathering and things like that but it's pretty obvious that they're at least they at least existed before this flood that's been recorded and you know that brings to mind those fantastic places that have been manipulated out of our history like joe pointed out like atlantis and Mu, and even more recently people have been really excited about tartaria even though that's not typically considered an island but yeah atlantis and and Mu are are fascinating especially when you look at all of the submerged megaliths that are 
in the Caribbean and the Pacific and, you know, I'm sure in the Indian Ocean and all over the place. Off the coast of Japan, too. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and submerged pyramids and then submerged then pyramids that haven't even been like uncovered in Bosnia. You know, just as another example, now they're saying they found pyramids in the United States. Mm. So, yeah, w which goes to what you were talking about with your live stream yesterday was how the parallels between Egypt and places in the United States. Right. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's a similar thing. And then we hear the story of how they found the Egyptian artifacts in a cave in, in Grand Canyon. Right. So the whole pyramids thing, you know, really, Jen, the whole pyramid thing is probably like the single biggest mystery in the history of the world because it's it's not a conspiracy theory like oh did these pyramids exist no the pyramids are there like these pyramids are there we can physically go there we can touch them we can look at them we can measure them we can do all kinds of things and then the weird thing is how the 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 pyramids at the temple of giza i mean excuse me the pyramids of giza are actually eight-sided pyramids they're not four-sided pyramids when you see them from the air, the sides come in. So the sides come in. It's weird. You would have to you would have to look it up. But if you look at the aerial views, there it's not a simple, it's not a simple cube slash triangle or a pyramid or whatever you want to say. But on the flats where it goes, there's actually they're angled in on a straight line that goes from top to bottom too. It's pretty amazing when you look into it. And I'm sorry. Slaves didn't build those things. They they, <laughs> they used advanced technology. They used adv advanced people to have advanced mathematics in in the extensive knowledge of of astrology to do this. Right. I get a lot of construction workers that listen to the show that reach out and that's one of their favorite topics because as you know, people who work in that field, they understand firsthand how, you know, magnificent these builds are and and how intense it would have been to pull it off you can't just do a group of people with sheer manpower i mean trying to lead a group of people more than five is hard enough you know so it's hence hey, why we have this nice little dynamic here of just the five of us <laughs> hey joe can you can you look up the eight-sided part of the pyramids of giza you should be able to find a graphic Eight-sided pyramids of Giza. See what comes up. I don't know. I've never heard of that, dude. I... Yeah, oh, from the air. Oh, okay. I found one. Yeah. Apparently, you can you can see the equinox tracked through the the way it's eight-sided. I think even some pyramids in Mexico do the same thing, but it looks like a snake because they're not as deteriorated. But, oh, wow! It almost looks like an iron cross, Ron. Is this what you're talking about, Ron? Yes. Wow. Now, wow. So when you when you look at it from the ground, you can't see that. Only huh. from the air can you see that. Almost it looks like, like a shamrock. Or those, or those, you know, those things you made as a kid with like you you do the four <laughs> sides of the paper like and pick write a stuff number. on it. To answer the question, yeah, pick a number. Oh, do you like me, Jen? Oh, oh no, <laughs> you like Joe. But but in market, you you're talking about the the Castillo de Dios. Is that what it is? At Chichen Itza, the the cat, the, the it's a, it's called El, El Castillo, 
okay. which means castle. And that is the main temple at Chichen Itza, which I have seen in person. Oh wow! And that is and that is the one is on the equinox. The stairs that go up it now they do not they no longer let people climb them stairs because people are jerks and they would go up there and they would write on things and car come on, you know stop doing that shit. So they have it all fenced off now, so you can't but you can get right up to it. But when that equinox hits the side of the stairs, at the bottom of the stairs there is a there is a head of a snake. A snake head at the bottom of them stairs. There's actually two of them. On the equinox, the way that the sun hits it, it looks like the snake is coming down the stairs. Now, I wasn't there on the equinox. I mean, it was hotter than a bitch when I was there. It was probably 110 degrees, I swear, uh, because it's in the jungle, you know. The Mayan jungle is flat. It's flat, low jungle. It's 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 just flat. It's There's no hills or mountains or anything there. But but And I didn't get to see this deal in person, but I have seen videos of it, and I did a lot of research on it. And it's it, it what kind of astronomical freaking mastermind genius thousands of years ago figured that out? Like they had help. There's no question in my mind, and they had help. And when you see the stonework, and and that's not the only temple that's there. Then you have the other temple where they did the, that had the sacrificial uh, altar on it. And then they had the ball fields for that ball game that they played. That mm. when the losers lost, they they got killed. Like I, it was a it was a game you played to the death. <laughs> yep. But but yeah, but it's amazing. But now so now you know about the eight the eight sided pyramid. Right on. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a cool. new one. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. That's where I was uh, kind of where I was going initially when I was trying to figure out what to bring to this show. I was like, history is a lie, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is but to try to focus in on one area like ben loves this stuff too the summit of 18 whatever i don't remember the dates remember i'm broad broad spectrum here on the spectrum too probably but uh so 1890 that that, 1890 yeah so to think that these people that built the pyramids were just dumb and they had help from outside maybe or maybe they were just so far advanced and then there was a reset and that gets into the mud flood and everything else and then here we are with a new narrative and it seems like we're coming up on another great reset if you listen to klaus schwab i don't know how long our cycles are but i think it's pretty undeniable that there is cycles to everything in the world including what happens every couple hundred years and I, nobody's around nobody lives that long to be able to say exactly what happened 200 years ago we have writings we have you know the the history of the victors that won and did everything and then redid the narrative like it's hard to even know so how many cycles have we gone through after the pyramids there could have been crazy yeah, I mean, think about the technology in the last 200 years. It's insane what we've gone through in the last 200 years. We went from apparently horse and cart to iPhones and quantum computers in 200 years. That's ridiculous. So the cycles don't seem to be that long. Or we just really got some help from aliens. Who knows? So that's why I was trying. I was having a hard time focusing on one area of what I wanted to talk about because it's so vast. You know what I mean? Like, Mark, what do you think about that? Well, I definitely think that the victor rewrites history as they conquer, and there's so much that's left behind too that they just don't even put into the average school book for good reason and for bad reason more often than not, i think bad reason so 
Yeah, man, I'm with you. I'm not quite the the broad spectrum guy when it comes to history topics either, because it is a lot to keep track of. But my favorite stuff, obviously, or, you know, is the more personal stuff, specifically like the New England history and and all of the things that I've learned recently about the Native Americans presence here, pre-colonial days and how a lot of these stone sort of fences and stone walls that are all over the place maybe were built by them in a lot of cases and not as we're told by the farmers who came here from Europe. So I found that really interesting as Jen probably knows being from new England, you, you can't help but notice them. They're all over the place, you know, some probably TV shows and movies that take place in new England might feature them, but yeah, it's just, you know, considering the interest in megaliths, I'm like, well, I know there's one or two megaliths here in New England. What else is there that people don't talk about? I mean, one that is really crazy is this thing called the Dighton Rock that has possibly like runes written into it that were made maybe by Templars or by like Celtic sailors and stuff. So there's even, you know, just hidden history that you can figure out in your own backyard. You know, you don't necessarily even have to go on the internet. That does help. But I find that like the first stop is always Wikipedia for me because that's like the official narrative, you know? And then when you find things that don't corroborate with that, it really makes you scratch your head, you know? Oh, yeah. Now, Wikipedia is a, a great first stop to be able to be like, oh, this is what's not true. Okay. <laughs> Well, in a lot of cases that with the more obscure stuff, you can find a lot of truth. You just have to know how to sift through the bias. And it's not all that hard. If you're listening to a show like Legit Bad or Wicked Planet or My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, you most likely have a, a sharp intuition for this kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I totally get it. That's like how I read IMDb reviews. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, OK, well, I can tell this person watch this movie and they actually really wanted to like it, but they just didn't. And here's why. But when someone just goes in being a bitch, it's like, oh, okay, this person just wanted to try the shitty review. <laughs> That's how people write Wikipedia. I hear that. Yeah, there's definitely when you have your own Wikipedia page, not that I do, but I, I'm sure there's like a an impulse to go and correct it and edit it, you know, like especially someone like, I don't know, Charlie Sheen or somebody, you know, you want to go and rewrite whatever's in there. He's like, I don't have a four inch cock. It's five. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Ron left. I think he said he had to go take a pit stop. He didn't say he was he was oh. done, but I figured we would wrap it up soon anyways since Joe shared his theory and you know, unless unless anybody else has any final thoughts, um hoping Ron no, comes yeah. back so we could say goodbye, but <laughs> No, that was about it. I was going to say some stuff about Bitcoin, but that's not really an event from history. It's just my own thoughts on the whole mm. crypto thing. Conspiracy but... on how the government just took control of con of i mean if you look it up on wikipedia like the whole bitcoin specifically thing is sketch it's like it's uh it's created from this guy named satoshi and nobody really knows who that is yeah. but it's it all of a sudden gained all this traction and i don't i'm sketched out about it I don't have know. you seen in the news lately they're talking about how biden just signed some executive order where the government will have some oversight over crypto which is being 
used so much now ever since this happened. So they're mm. putting that out there so that people say, oh, I need to go buy crypto because everyone's doing it. I want to be on the forefront of this. Yeah, it was more more current eventsy type shit. I, we don't need it. No, We've got I, I hear so that. I, I think it's I think it's interesting how like post World War II and Japan getting defeated, all of this tech innovation just suddenly comes out of that country. And, you know, this Satoshi guy, I'm assuming is Japanese based on his name. I could be wrong, but, Racist. you know, yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, outside of trying, you know, not trying to sound like a xenophobe or anything, but it does seem like after World War II, Japan had some sort of imperative to help the United States military create a lot of the technology that we see now. I mean, people take for granted how much innovation happens over there too. But yeah, I don't know. That is an interesting myth about this Satoshi Nakamoto guy. Yeah, I'm back. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. We we're just about to wrap it up, Ron. We figured, you know, everybody shared their campfire story. I think this was a great conspiratorial alphabet soup of ideas and a sort of fun hodgepodge with the Hodgdens. So I appreciate you guys joining me for this. And Ron, of course, it's always great to talk to you. I think this was also a great sort of, you know, generational not to age you out ron but i'm kind of the young gun and then we got sort of in the middle with legit bat and then we got wicked planet so it was good to get all perspectives here at the campfire conspiracy chat so if everybody wants to just share their final thoughts and plug their show we could wrap it up people know me from my family think some crazy just go to the dot com and check out everything i got going on Okay, okay, I'll go. Well, you can find me on the Wicked Planet podcast. And yes, in our podcast circle, and out of like every podcast that I listen to, or, or all our friends, like I am the oldest guy. We've made that clear. We've talked about that on multiple times. I'm sorry. <laughs> but 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 what you know, I'm totally fine with that. You know, I'm just an old guy that's in the game still. I mean, I'm still here, right? And I'm keeping up with you youngsters or doing my best to keep up with you. But the one thing about the Wicked Planet is that my co-host Buckley is he's only like 30 or 31 years old. So, so you know, you got me that's like almost twice as old as that. So I have all the knowledge that I've, that I've brought my whole life and just my perspective on things and considering myself to be relatively old school because I grew up pre-technology. Like when I was a kid, we had no technology. We had rotary phones. We had TVs with three channels with an antenna that was on your house, you know? We had AM radios. Like, I remember when we got FM radio, that was like a big deal. Like, a big thing for us was we would listen to shortwave radio on the weekends. You know, you could pick up a show, you know, from who knows where. You know, that was the kind of technology that we had when I was a kid. My mom used to still play her Victrola when I was a kid. And that's and that's the old stand-up record player that you had to crank. And then you, <laughs> you put out this big thing, and that was the speaker. You know what I mean? So I have seen the evolution of technology go from to, from nothing to what it is today. So so but I think on my show, which makes it works good, is the, the dynamic because I am older and, and Buckley is younger and, and, and he's very intelligent, but he's not like like you can't be a young wise man. There's no such thing as a young wise man. you got to be old to be a wise man. Right. 
So I, th- I think that's what kind of sets our show apart. You could be a young, Buckley. wise ass. I've been called that plenty of well, times. Well, Buckley, <laughs> Buckley's definitely that. Hey, listen, I get a lot of hate mail about Buckley, but and I read them to him too. But I always do it after the show, you know, because I don't want him to be in a, I don't want him to be in a pissy mood dur- during the show. Uh, but anyways. <laughs> But, but it's a really good dynamic. It works off good with us. And uh, anybody that's uh, watching this on Rockfin, I hope to someday get our show on Rockfin. We're actually uh, working towards at least going, learning to do the video podcasting and doing the live streaming and the streaming and, and all that other stuff. And once I get that mastered, then maybe I'll apply and talk to somebody about getting a channel on Rockfin. But that is definitely something that I, that's one of our goals at the show. We're coming up on our year anniversary. We're going to have our one-year anniversary show on Wednesday, March 30th. I just want to shout out to the people that are listening here that listen to the Wicked, uh, Wicked Planet. We super appreciate that. But what we want you to do for the anniversary show is that everybody's got two weeks' notice. Send us questions. Send us anything like that because the show is going to be dedicated to the listeners. So we're going to interact with the listeners, answer their questions. And really, nothing's off the table. I mean, you know, if there's some questions that are off color that I think are inappropriate, well, I won't address those. But but anyways, I think it'll be a good time. But yeah, come follow me on Instagram. I'm Ron from New England and uh, the Wicked Planet podcast. You'll notice I, I like to shoot a lot of memes out there. I like to keep it lighthearted. I like to keep it funny. And I just like to really show the idiocracy and hypocrisy that's out there in the world. And that's basically what my pages do. So, so thanks for having me on. I always enjoy getting together with all you guys, obviously. My very beginnings when I was just cutting my teeth, I spent a lot of time with Joe, Jen, and Ben. So, so it was really cool that uh, you guys uh, took me into your podcasting family. And I, and I, and I love you, Ron. Hey, thank you. You're our very own podfather. (laughs) Hey, there you go. That's a good one. I think I'll use that one. Actually, sorry. It's podfather. You're a pod, podfather. You're it wrong. Podfather. Okay, like in the telegram, the telegram chat, Joe, when you were busting my balls, you was you said <laughs> cry me here and you put the R on the end of it. Uh, so so just I understand you guys love busting my nuts about my accent. I, I don't hear it, obviously. This is how I talk. But I, but a lot of the <laughs> listeners are really into it. I actually got a uh I got a rating on Apple Podcasts with some chick went in there and said that I had a very sexy voice. So I don't know where I don't know where she's from. Oh shit! But but, but I'm gonna go with it. But but yeah. So, so what we do? I'm just gonna go with Boston. Yeah. So what we do is we take the R's. We take the R's out of the middle of the word where they belong, and we put them on the end. We replace <laughs> our R's in the middle with an A. We and if and if the word's supposed to have an R on the end, well, we get rid of that and we put the A over there. So we do a lot of what do you call that? Yeah. Yeah, word uh, magic. Doing whatever yeah. the fuck you want to do, and I respect. I have that. actually tried yeah. to explain this to Joe so many times. I was like, I could be a translator for someone who's from Boston because I know exactly what they're saying, even if it sounds completely unintelligible. But I also don't have a Boston accent, so it seems weird. <laughs> no, you well, don't. You totally don't. But and as in the words of the famous Tom Segura, those shady fucks up in the Northeast, the one good thing about them is that you can go, hey, you know what? You're a real asshole. And they'll go, yeah, thanks. My my, my grandfather was an asshole. My dad was an asshole. And I'm an asshole. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a badge of honor for us up here. When people talk about people from New England, oh, those guys are jerks. They're No, it's just, man, we don't have time for your bullshit. 
Like, like, like that, that's, that's basically all it comes down to. It's like, okay, what you're saying makes no sense. Shut the fuck up. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. You're, you're fucking stupid. See, uh, see, people, <laughs> people get surprised because I have this nice, smooth, groovy voice on the mic. And then in the YouTube comments, my New England attitude comes out and people are like, Mark, Mark, chill out, man. Chill out. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a New Englander, okay. too. <laughs> I live in Massachusetts, though. I live in California and people are surprised. They're like, oh, I thought you were nice. I'm like, no, I am. I am. I am. I just was born in Massachusetts. Like, I can't help it. Just when I get mad, I say the meanest, most hurtful thing possible to shut you down as quickly as possible because I'm on a fucking time schedule, bitch. Stop talking. See, I'm about way it. too nice to people online. Even the trolls, I'll like give them a chance. I'll give them like two responses and then they're just blocked. I'm, but I'll be <laughs> nice. Know, I'll be so nice. Yeah, but you know what? You know what it is? So it's perfectly normal here. Like uh, give an example, like a customer will call me and they'll start telling me this whole freaking diatribe about what's going on with their car and i'll just stop right in the middle i'll say listen is this going anywhere anytime soon because because you know you could just like give me the give me the like the, the like the cliff notes and i'll be able to and i'll be able to you know give you an idea of what's going on with your car dude i'm busy you know i got shit going on i could be on the phone or i can work on your car what do you want me to do and I people are like, like look up the recipe on well, Yumly. well the thing is nobody takes offense to that because you can be offensive up here. And, and Mark, to your point, like you're in Connecticut, the further east and north you get in New England, the worse your accent and your attitude gets. But we don't oh, mean yeah. anything we're, by it. It's just how we are. We're all cute yeah, and right. nice down here. <laughs> well, real quick, guys, I need to head out. I'm actually like a lot past what I usually stay on. But it was oh, really crazy. good chatting with you guys. Thank you, Ben yeah i'm fucking raging right down into my fucking keyboard yeah i'll talk to you guys soon ron obviously always a pleasure mark love yeah, having you, you too, on definitely. you always you always bring a like you said a really nice smooth way to listen to points and uh it makes it a lot easier to talk about instead of uh fucking ron who always makes everything sound angry so anyway i love i love you guys i'll talk to you guys soon night man night <laughs> Oh, yeah, we can wrap it up here. Mark, what do you think? I love it. I love it. I saw Ron's face get a little mad when Ben said that. I didn't want to point it out, but Ron, when you ben didn't deserve what? that. You didn't you deserve that. What are you talking about? I don't know. I'm from <laughs> Connecticut. We're too polite to do that. But <laughs> anyways, I love it. I think this is always fun getting together with you guys. And This was a you know, good idea, Mark. Thank, Thank you. you. And I see all these like group podcasts happening. So I figured I'd throw our hat in the ring. And you guys, like Ron said, we've all been kind of doing this for a year now together. And I do feel like you're part of my podcast family. And I prefer the the shorter, the like the smaller group shows, you know, less people, everybody gets a little bit more time to to talk. So yeah, anytime you guys want to do this again, I'm always game. You know that. Send me an invite and look forward to another one from me. Uh, pretty soon but uh, for everyone yeah. out there listening thank you so much for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now that's how i always sign off my podcast joe how do you want to sign my sign off usually gets cut off because when i push end it cuts off the end of it so i don't know how much of this people will get but use your fucking turn signals <laughs> we love you thank you for uh, joining us tonight and we'll see you next time ron how do you sign off i do it ron for new england signing off that simple
Oh.